Genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. Today, because you demanded it, we conclude our miniseries on the Mummy franchise winner of this year's Listener Pick Tournament with the first and final chapter of the Dark Universe. <laughs> it's 2017's The Mummy. Mm. And we have a guest. Joining us to talk about Tom Cruise, Cinematic Universes, and the Vomit Comet, it's Jason Hammonds. Welcome to the show, Jason. Hello, it's me, or as you might know me by my alter ego, Eddie Hyde. Wow. I'm going to make sure everyone does their stuff and makes it all... (laughs) I hear you're supposed to be some something of the the Nick Fury of the Dark Universe. I am going to assemble every possible creepy little monster mm. and make sure that they can save the world? Question mark. Yeah, mm-hmm. fight Dracula. Fight I guess Dracula <laughs> once he's been told. Yeah, well, was that the ultimate plan? Was that the Avengers? Was like the Loki and the Avengers Dracula? That's a good pull. That's a huh. good call. I I was not able to find any details into what kind of cumulative cumulative event the dark universe was going to be building towards <laughs> okay um so i know that uh, I, I guess just to kick right into it yeah, yeah we're just well, let's go deep nick <laughs> yeah. let's go let's deep. Uh, so i can say quality of movie aside so jason just <laughs> just to catch you up this yeah. was a, we had like a march madness tournament okay this past year got it uh, the mummy cleared it Wow, just dominated. What? Mm-hmm. Give, give me, give me some other names that were in that bracket. No, you don't have to give me all of them. Scott and I were very, really rooting for. We almost did every Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> yeah, mm. interesting. Okay, <laughs> we were gonna do. Uh, we were gonna do a thing where it was like every episode was like we were gonna try and keep like under an hour and release it three times a week. <laughs> Just to get through all of right, them, yeah. all the happy ma- Madison so, so movies. So what you're saying is, as a reward to fans of the show, <laughs> what your plan was is to just bombard all of their <laughs> yes, phones yeah. yes. with constant terrible yes. Adam Sandler movies mm-hmm. notifications. So that but, lot lost. That lost in the first round. I uh, think. Um, John Hughes High. Yeah, John Hughes uh, High School. Universal Monsters, the classic. Blade. Okay. Um, Thor. We had like uh, just the yeah. Thor trilogy. Blade, okay. Thor, Planet of the Apes. Or quadrilogy now, I guess. Um, uh, Colcomania, which was yeah. my, all, which was the pitch the of like all the no all the all the Macaulay Culkin movies of the nineties. That's what I just said. I Is said Macaulay. Said? Oh, Macaulay. I thought you said. I thought I don't know what you said. I'm sorry for um, munching on ice <laughs> on yeah. mic. Sorry, that yeah. was terrible. But uh, but the Mummy dominated, and Shit. our Scott and I's bitterness at the beginning yeah was like well they just want us to talk about the first one 
Mm. And then they're going to bail and not listen to who and was. This, this was too. I, I'm thinking like in March of 2023. This was kind of while while sort of the Renaissance was yeah. in mm-hmm. high gear. Whale mania, mm-hmm. as I call yeah. it. Whale mania. <laughs> whale mania is going to get you. Hey, I'm the whale, brother. <laughs> this is the thing, though, is it like that. This wins out. You would have won two Oscars. <laughs> oh my god. god. <laughs> <laughs> this, but this thing wins out because. People are amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's Brendan Fraser People from The Whale. For those who don't know, I have not sake, seen it. It's my nice. favorite screenshot to send in group texts, despite the fact that I just simply haven't seen the movie. I'm <laughs> a big fan of, um, I guess, spoilers. The final frame of that movie has kind of become a meme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Amazing yeah. choice. Uh, anyway. But yeah, so we're not here to talk about Brendan. We're not. Uh, well, we've moved on from Brendan. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are post. So, um, well, I guess to, to clear up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so every the cast of Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor mm-hmm. Part Three, uh, they were they had signed on to do another movie. Right. Mm-hmm. So Frage. Right. Um, Marie, Marie, Maria Bello. Maria Bello. Wow. Yep. Totally blanked out her name. Um, <laughs> The, the the second Evelyn Jason yeah and then Luke Ford the guy that was playing their adult son Alex right, right. they had all signed on to do what was going to be called Mummy Rise of the Aztecs mm-hmm. which is going to take place in South America uh, Anto- Antonio Banderas Antonio Banderas mm, uh, the mummy that's fun who, who's uh, I'm really bad with names today Alfred Zack Snyder Alfred Dungeons oh, and Dragons Jeremy Irons, Jeremy Irons was oh. attached oh that's Interesting. As like I'm guessing, I'm guessing either he Alfred, or because the thing about he and Antonio Banderas is they're both like white, arguably. Right. right. Like Antonio Banderas is Spanish. Right. So like he probably could have, by Hollywood standards, gotten away right. with playing like an Aztec mummy. Right. But he also could have played a conquistador. Right. Mm-hmm. But then so could Jeremy Irons. Right. That's true. Um. um but although, it, although uh, by your own admission on this show, Antonio Banderas is a yeah, it's true <laughs> honorary Mexican. Honorary Mexican. <laughs> yes. I said because because of his performance oh, yeah. in Zorro and you Spy do Kids. enough Robert Rodriguez movies, yeah, yeah, and suddenly you just become yeah. Despite yeah, Steve yeah. Buscemi, honorary Mexican. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't make the rules. Uh, <laughs> that eagle with the snake in his talons makes the rules. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, even though. The mummy, you know, no mummy. Every mummy movie, including this one, uh, has broken four hundred million. They've mm-hmm. all kind of stayed in that four hundred million range. Yeah. But unfortunately, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor was a a lot more expensive than The Mummy Returns, mm-hmm. and b uh, even less critically praised right. than The Mummy Returns. And like you know, the audience fans didn't like it. Right. Its main cultural legacy, even now, is oh, it's the one where they couldn't get Rachel Weisz back. Right. So, uh, Plans of a Mummy 4 quickly fell apart. And then, uh, in April of 2012, Mm. so at four years post Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, right? Which came out in 2008. Writer John Spates. In the time between the first Iron Man and the first Avengers movie. Wow. This is what happened. (laughs) That's crazy when you put it like that. Quick (laughs) quick side note, as just a thing that happened between these two, uh, technically even concurrent with this franchise, uh, do you know how many Scorpion King movies were made? I'm going to say, including The Rock one? Yeah. Four. Five. Wow. Yeah. Five Can... Scorpion King movies uh, up to 2018 was one of the most recent ones. And I think oh, the 2018 released. one is a reboot. 
Really? The the next one's going to be a reboot. Oh. I think Book of Souls was still technically part of the OG series. Okay. Um, not to not to drag this out, but if if, if you have it, if you were able to like uh, uh, go through this quickly, can titles. You, can you see if if it's a different Scorpion King every time? Or I did... believe it is, and I believe it's always a professional wrestler or oh. professional fighter in some way. Got so it. Randy Couture played a character named Sargon in the second one. Okay, well, the Scorpion's um, King's name is Matthias. I I don't think that it, that Matthias ever. I think it's like always a different sort of. That's interesting. So it's like a lineage. Yeah. Oh, wait, actually, no, you're right. You're I. You're right. So uh, Victor Webster played the Scorpion King in the third one. Okay. In the second one, it was Michael Copen. So it is different in every It one. is different, <laughs> it seems, in every one. But these guys are not as interesting as like Randy Couture and fucking John Yeah, I know, I know Dave Batista's in one. Yeah, Lou Ferrigno was in one. Wow. Batista, like it's it's a lot of just like people who are known to be buff. Yeah, I think the Marine as well got a couple sequels where it was always like yeah. a wrestler's first vehicle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. that makes sense. <laughs> then they did, of course, um, one hundred rounds and one hundred and one rounds. Right, the one on an island where it was like the most dangerous rounds. game. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, um, yeah. Thank God that's not a franchise. I think our listeners would. Get it? We don't. We don't have a lot of WWE fans in the in the franchiseography, as far as I know. Right, that's true. We could have it like a, cl- a closet. Yeah. A Batista series would be fun. Batista's Ooh. got some good movies. The Little Glasses series. The problem, yeah. yeah the problem with that is it would overlap with Guardians. Big sure. Time. Mm, um, right. Yeah. So you can exempt any of them that you've already. Yeah, we would Blade have to Runner. exempt Guardians the way that we will likely exempt, depending on which order we do them in. We might exempt. The Dark Knight trilogy, either from the Batman series or the Nolan series, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, because if we ever wanted to do a Nolan filmography, do we just cover? Because Batman, you know, he would, you know, that's that changed the course of his right. career. We right. have to talk about Batman a little bit, right? Right. But then, what if we wanted to do a Batman series? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's, always... you just exempt the ones you've already covered. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. then that way, when you do James Gunn or something, right, and you've already done the Dave Batista series, then you just don't talk about Guardians, right? right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You just do not knock at the cabin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. So, so what happens in 2012? So uh, in in April of 2012, the Hollywood Reporter reported. Reported, as they as they as often they want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes about to do a Bojack Horseman joke. Um, John Spates, writer of Prometheus, mm-hmm. had been hired to write a Mummy reboot. And Passengers, that was also him. That right? was him. Yeah, yeah. I think Origi- he, that the was OG like, script. The OG script. It was like a spec that had gotten tossed around right. a while because yeah. it has like two big starring roles. Right, right. Passengers got him Prometheus. Yes, and then Prometheus started getting him other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before it came out. Right. Because right. this is this is pre it coming out and becoming this oh, is April wait, April Prometheus summer summer 2012. 2012. Oh, wow. This is literally like months before oh, okay, Prometheus okay. opened. Gotcha. But he was like the big buzzy writer. Yeah, because he also did Doctor Strange, the first draft That's of Doctor right. Strange. He did yeah. Doctor Strange. He was he was he was making the rounds. He was in a, this period of time. A lot of what you call uh, water bottle to- meetings. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, Only he was actually getting hired. Right. So uh, <laughs> there's this quote from Variety from Spates like Prometheus. This is an opportunity to take the franchises, take back the franchise's roots in dark, scary source material while simultaneously, you know, in its dark, scary source material, mm-hmm. being the Boris Karloff movie, and simultaneously open up to an epic scale we haven't seen before. Mm. And the plan was always for it to be set in the modern day, mm-hmm. which I find to be ironic. Uh, listeners uh, and, and, and Scott know this. From listening to our mummy episode, but this whole thing started, Jason, with um, back in the 90s, they wanted to do a mummy 
reboot set in the modern day. Right. And that was, you know, George Romero. Right. Um, Clive Barker. Right. But then finally it was Stephen Sommers who was like, well, what if it was like an Indiana Jones yeah. throwback period piece? Right, 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 right. So like we've come full circle. Yeah. <laughs> Less horror, more adventure. Right. Like an yeah. epic, scary, horror, gritty. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, so that was. Just, just right back to the development hell that they were trapped in before. <laughs> yeah. A lot of this is going to be like history repeating itself. Yeah. In a very interesting way. Yeah. Studios, the cyclical kind of nature of Hollywood of you're yeah. up, you're down. They're always just responding to the last thing that happened. Exactly. Right. Like one thing I kind of learned while in my research of this is like no failure or success exists in a bubble. Right. Mm-hmm. Like everything is kind of a response to something else. Everything. Right? Yeah. Overperforming or underperforming. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you look at like even the like the Daniel Craig James Bond movies only exist because the Bourne Identity exists. Right. Like. That's the only reason it was a reboot, and it's the only reason that he was like a buff, gruff, like aggressive sort of parkour guy. Yeah, you know? like absolutely. Anyway. And so now, uh, you know, or circa 2012, we are at the dawn of the the reign of Marvel, mm-hmm. where the Avengers came out and was a big, huge hit, as well as pretty critically acclaimed audiences loved it. Yeah, and it was seen as like the validation of this cinematic universe. First movie to make 200 million in an opening weekend. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. I think that's the only record it has, but it did make like you know mm. billions of dollars. <laughs> and so, um, days before the Avengers came, hit theaters, May first, two thousand twelve, a Variety article announced that Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi, well known for their work on the Star Trek reboots movies, mm-hmm. uh, Mission Impossible three, mm-hmm. Alias. Fringe. They're bad robot guys. They're bad robot guys. When did wait, wait, wait. But when did was Into Darkness twenty twelve as well? Thirteen. Twenty thirteen. Okay. So that's so, why Orsi is still around. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Oh, I got it. I got all the whole yeah. saga. I got okay. it. Okay. Don't, right, don't worry about it. Don't even worry, man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Kurtzman and Orsi inked a deal with Universal to uh two uh, a two year production deal. Mm-hmm. And part of that deal was they would be developing, in addition to the Mummy reboot that Spates was writing, a Van Helsing remake with Tom Cruise rumored to be attached. Interesting. Okay, I see. So they weren't saying interconnected universe yet. Right. But they were saying this Mummy reboot that John Spates is writing, it's going to connect with this Van Helsing movie that we're also producing, and we want Tom Cruise to be Van Helsing. It's... It's interesting, like, the way that these actors... We were talking about it off mic with Ryan Reynolds kind of circling all the DC properties before he ended up with Green Lantern. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's just... It's interesting how these actors will just sort of be like, we want them to be in a thing. It doesn't matter which thing it is. We will just make it fit them. Right. And that feels like it's always the way that these franchise... Not always, but so often the way that they get doomed is, like just trying to make a movie fit whoever the actor that's attached is or the person that you have, like, interested in something with you, where it's, Mm -hmm. like, the Channing Tatum gambit or, like, you know, friggin', like... Any any time that it's that it's we're just going to make a character that we have as IP fit an actor who's interested in doing something with us, it always feels like it just ends up not getting to the heart of either what the actor is good at or what the character is good for. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know? just to, just to stay on DC, but maybe yeah. listening to you, uh, I learned this pretty recently. I think I've told Scott this on mic, but I think definitely off mic. Mm. Uh, Ryan Reynolds was like someone Warner Brothers really wanted to work with. Apparently. 
guy that directed Goldeneye and Green Lantern. Martin Campbell. Martin Campbell. Well, uh, uh, really, really wanted Bradley Cooper to be Hal Jordan. Right. But, but Warner, he looked weird in a mask or yeah, whatever was the reason. Yeah, weird in a mask. And yeah. Warner Brothers was like, this is our guy, Cash Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. And so apparently uh, Martin Campbell just really didn't vibe with Ryan Reynolds mm. the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Which is Cooper would have been a good good choice. Yeah. He would have been which, fun. Which makes sense because you watch Green Lantern and for the most part it does feel like Ryan Reynolds is acting through that movie with someone's hand on their on his chest holding yep. him back. Yep. Yeah, he's not like Mr. Cool Deadpool or yeah. he's he not saying look at my balls. scenes like that mm-hmm. at the beginning before he like right at the yeah. very beginning and then like that's that's it. And yeah. then it's He's just doing earnest superhero. Yeah. When you think yeah. about like Hangover era Bradley Cooper, yeah, mm-hmm. perfect scumbag era yeah. Bradley Cooper. That's a good. That's a good Hal Jordan. Like that. That yeah. kind of guy who's like you know he's a good friend and he's nice and and but too cool for school and mm-hmm. like kind you of would, you wouldn't trust him about, with your car. How old am I? I just said too cool for school. You know what though? Like Fifty <laughs> years old. Here's, here's what I'll say. I mean, this is so stupid, but like it's because Jeff Johns was so heavily involved yeah. at the time. But like. Not to make this a Green Lantern thing, <laughs> but, 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 but the fact of the matter is, oh, Bradley Cooper looks weird in a mask. Okay, mm-hmm. so then don't have a mask. They're yeah. not superheroes. Just don't they're, make them wear a mask. They're space cops. Doesn't matter. No. It does, he doesn't need a mask. No one cares if Hal Jordan's wearing a mask. Just have him have a scene where he wears a mask, and they're like, oh, Hal, you look weird in a mask. And so he just doesn't wear Boom. a mask. There you go. Yeah. Done. Killwood doesn't wear a mask. Yeah. Or, like, you don't have to make it the, <laughs> yeah. the like, domino nose-covering mask. Just right. make it, like, a Robin mask. Yeah. Like, whatever, you know? like. Yeah. Sorry, Brad. Different. You don't look good in the mask. Now yeah, we have yeah, to... Bradley Cooper has a weird nose, and obviously, there's been a whole other be, thing started, started over the yeah. weird <laughs> nose that he gave himself. <laughs> right, uh, but like his natural nose, yeah, it's a little crooked. Like, mm-hmm. it's so sure it's going to look weird in a mask. Just don't put it on. Anyway, yeah, uh, that's I, simple. it really is that simple. Yeah, on on the Van Helsing thing, I think Please. a thought that I was having while watching this movie was like, because the whole thing is just, it's just misguided, and mm-hmm. we'll get deeper into it. But like, it that that approach of like Tom Cruise as Van Helsing. That makes sense for the how you would... The modern-day Van Helsing. Right. right. That makes sense for how you would launch a thing like yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Like, you get a star as that character whose job it is to discover these weird things in this universe. Right. Mm-hmm. But instead, he's just, like, a soldier. Anyway, we'll, we'll get well, deeper into and, that. Well, yeah, and uh, uh, for our... We haven't recorded this yet, listeners. Time of recording. But for, wow. our, for our extracurricular Patreon episodes, we are going to be covering Van Helsing. On our yeah, yeah, franchise dog. potential. Franchise yeah. potential, which is another example of, I mean, they were going to make. Oh, and they were, yeah. Theme park rides. They were all in on They that. were all in on Van Helsing. Yeah. And, because uh, you're right, because, like, that's, it's, like, so organic. Yep. You know, he, he's a monster hunter. He knows all about monsters. The whole conceit is that he's a POV character for a big universe. That's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. like. Because the whole, the whole, the whole Henry Jekyll being the Nick Fury is Ugh. so frustrating because you're like, Van Helsing's right there. Yeah. Why is that not? And and he would be a great Van Helsing. Oh, Russell yeah. Crowe, Russell yeah. Russell Crowe yeah. would be a great Van Helsing. Yeah. Why is he Dr. Know. Je- Dr. Jekyll? It's also, um, we'll continue to talk about this later, but like For the sure. age thing with Tom Cruise and Russell Crowe is so silly in this movie. Oh, the yeah. line where he's like, you're a young man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're yeah. Yeah. Tom Cruise is older than Russell Crowe. Yeah. What are we doing? What the fuck are we doing? Uh, Why? And this yeah. is, we'll get into it. We'll get well, into it. I'll, I'll save that note. For sure. For sure. I think I, I have like a half-baked defense for that line I famously don't like, but it, it just popped in my head watching it this uh-huh. time. And I'm like, well, maybe that's what they're, anyway. So in uh, September of 2012, so after Prometheus coming out, mm-hmm. but yeah. also after uh, another movie came out called Total Recall, mm-hmm. uh, the Total Recall remake with yeah. Colin Farrell and yeah. Kate Beckinsale. Uh, <laughs> director Len Weissman was attached to the Mummy reboot. 
for a summer 2014 release. Mm, oh my god! Yeah, right. You imagine Len Wiseman's The Mummy. You think Kate Beckinsale would have been in it? Kate. Do we really think that would have been any worse than this one, though? <sighs> I mean, it would have probably been. Honestly, it probably would have been more fun to watch. It would have been c- cooler. Yeah. I mean, cooler in italics. I think yeah. it would have like, been... Yeah, I, which I think, makes it more fun to watch because right. you're like, oh my God, really? Yeah. Uh, that yeah. much leather? Yeah. Uh, well, I can't spoil Please. this. Anyway, uh, yeah. But, okay. uh, but yeah, so, so, uh, that, so that was announced, Hollywood Reporter, September 2012, Len Weissman directing the Mummy reboot. But then, in February of 2013, uh, uh, an unexpected fissure <laughs> hit the trades. Uh, news began circulating that Universal had uh, uh, implied a or invoked an unusual insurance policy. Yep. By commissioning a second screenplay <laughs> to be developed simultaneously with the John Spates script. Uh, this would be d- uh, written by Billy Ray. Yeah. Writer of, of course, Richard Jewell and State of Play. The Hunger Games. And the Nicole Kidman Absolutely. AMC opening. Captain Phillips and the Nicole Kidman AMC Yeah, the opening. movie, uh, the, the movie lovers. I still lovers, don't know if he was uh, kidding about that. Anyway. The movie, no, no, that's real. Okay. The yeah. Our Father, the Lord's Prayer of, of, of Cinephiles. <laughs> yeah. Because so, uh, he also wrote the sequel, which they've produced but haven't released in theaters yet. Right, right, right. Yeah. There was this infamous quote, uh, anonymous quote that a Vulture article uh, got from an uh, anonymous studio insider. Studios don't shoot movies anymore. They shoot release dates. So <laughs> you may be wondering, why was, true. why was Universal doing this? Why were they developing a second mummy script? Just in case. Just in case. Well, uh, much like in the 90s with Meet Joe Black and Bay Pig in the City, Universal once again found themselves sort of against the ropes. Mm. Uh, the previous summer, their film Battleship mm. was a costly flop. It in itself was supposed to maybe R.I.P. start. Yeah. R.I.P. Oh yeah, it was supposed to start like a board game franchise. Was like <laughs> truly the goal of it. Uh, by the way, I don't know if either of you have seen the Battleship movie. Yep, a lot of fun. I worked in a movie theater when that movie came out. So, so I, much. Fun. I've seen quite a few reels of it. It's entertaining. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe we can do that one day as a franchise potential. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I don't know what it'd be attached to. But sure, that's what, true. What other other Hasbro to? movies, Barbie. Yeah, maybe when we if we cover maybe well, in a few years when the board game. Oh, Mattel Hasbro, very different. That's yeah. true. You're right. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. So then we would do it with Transformers. Got it. Yeah. That's what it would be. It go. was them truly trying to do Transformers again. Yeah. That was the yeah. whole purpose. Yeah. Uh, also found a bit of like insider information that Ooh. may has may have be another fold as to why this was being developed. So another movie that re- really underperformed, as I kind of uh, inferred earlier. Was Len Wiseman's Total Recall movie? Yeah, right. Hey, and you know what? I'll say this: I saw it in theater. <laughs> Never seen it. Did you like it? I saw it opening weekend. I like it. Okay, they should they should have put that on the quote on the cover. <laughs> I, I I like it. I think it's fine. Yeah, like is it as imaginative and high energy as the '80s Total Recall? No. Does it split? Try to split the difference between being an adaptation of the original thing, but also pulling from the iconography of the movie that everyone knows, yeah. and therefore kind of being neither thing. Yes, absolutely. But on its own merits, on its own merits, like it's not. It's it, it's an enjoyable two hours for yeah. sure. If it's even two hours, I, I don't, don't doubt know. it. Yeah, but uh, in any event, that was a costly failure for Len Weissman, Universal. Was suffering a uh, a loss, you know, kind of. In, uh, they haven't had a hit in a while in two thousand in two thousand twelve. Mm. And also, this was interesting. Billy Ray, Kurtzman, and Ortsy, and Len Weissman 
all repped by the same agent. <laughs> CAA's Todd Feldman. So this, so this Man. is a packaging thing. I think so. True. Yeah. Well, it, it's sort of. It's it's almost. I mean, like, because it, it's it's in a way it's anti-packaging, but it's like it is just a, such an insane overstep of like the agent client trusts thing. You know, like yeah. Can you imagine finding out that your agent booked like? decided to book your replacement while you were still working on a job like <laughs> that's fucking crazy yeah. i would fire my agent immediately yeah. so the uh an- another another uh, anonymous quote from uh the same ultra article was that the plan universal was to eventually take the billy ray script and the kurtzman and orsi script and gang bang them together quote <laughs> gang bang <laughs> I've, that is not the first time I've heard that phrase to be used for that particular. Studio execs thing. are so stupid. Yes, <laughs> like and, and it was a, yeah. It's like you know, Universal needs a hit. Our client Len Wiseman, his Total Recall movie lost fifty million for Sony. Mm-hmm. We don't want him to go to director jail. He needs a hit. We need to make sure this Mummy movie happens and is a hit oh and comes out. God, uh, it's what it's like. Hey, you know what? It, they, they did it for Spider Man Two, and it worked out great for that. So <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Why not? There's, yeah, there's a just precedent. ask Drew Goddard. <laughs> But it would all be for naught, as far as Len Wiseman was concerned. For by July of 2013, he would leave the film to focus on developing his Sleepy Hollow series for Fox. Yes. I believe he directed the pilot for that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it was kind of a hot show for a few months. <laughs> for a few months? <laughs> <laughs> I remember it was like, oh, this first season's really good. Oh, wait, shit. No, it's not. Yeah, it had that, it had that weird thing where the lead actress... It was like a thing where I think she like instantly regretted being in it and begged them to kill her off for like right. two seasons. Yeah. And then they finally did, and then everyone hated the show because they were only watching it for the chemistry between the two. Her leads. and Ichabod. Yeah. Uh, and so it was like it was like three seasons of her or two seasons of her and then one season without and then yeah. done. Cancelled. And the fandom was like hated it. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Um, but it was kind of like uh Nicole Barry, I think is the actor's name she was in, uh Miss Juneteenth. Right. She was really good. Right. But kind of similar to the actor that played Iris West in The Flash. Mm. Yeah. Was like, after the fact, was like, hey, I had some real shenanigans I had to put up with with these people. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's kind of the biggest part of the show's legacy now. Right. Right. Um, but Absolutely. in any event, Universal was like, we need this mummy movie to happen now. Yeah. We cannot slow this ship down. In September of 2013, just a, a couple months after. You're going to be keep waiting for a while. It's not, gonna happen <laughs> it's not right happening. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> none other than Andy Muschietti. Began circling a Muchetti. deal. Muchietti. Uh, just directed Mama, mm. which was a big hit. And, uh, had, you know, kind of doing... He was the hot director now. Yeah. Uh, would eventually go on to direct It Chapter One. I truly believe, and and I'm very sorry for, but for, for, for Andy, but, like, now that I've seen The Flash, uh-huh. I truly believe that anyone could have directed It, and it would have been mm. what it was. Um, I almost would have preferred him to go from Mama to the Mummy. Mama to Mummy. Mama, Mama to Mummy. <laughs> Mama to Mummy. Uh, that would have been Mama the, to that's, the title, that's the title of his, uh, his autobiography. From Mama to Mummy. <laughs> from Mama to Mummy. The Andy Muschietti story. The, the, the incredibly short period of my own <laughs> yeah. career. The, yeah. The three-year window of my career. <laughs> my, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and he was attached for quite a while. He was going to direct the Mummy reboot. Mm. But then in May of 2014... He departed over creative differences. Mm. Mm. What were those creative differences? Which, 
yeah, I'm, I'm curious because before you say what they are, please, I'm like, they have to be something substantial for him to leave because I think if the Flash proved anything, <laughs> it's that this dude is a company man through and through. He's yeah, like, he, what do you want in this? Sure. Fuck it. Let's do it. You know? He did stick it the hell out on that movie, oh man. After God. a lot of people had had enough. You know, that's the, that's the one thing that you got to applaud him for. Is like, you know what? You are the guy that finally made this fucking movie. Yeah. And it's in theaters. Whether you like it or not, it's there and it happened. And mm-hmm. you did it. What did they do? What did Ezra do? Fuck it. <laughs> yes. Yep. And I'm and I'm sure he's a hundred percent satisfied with the movie he makes. Yeah, <laughs> and, well, and, that's, and I think that's why I literally think that's why James Gunn wants him for Brave and the Bold because he's like, I, you fucking earned it, you know. Yeah. You you pushed that boulder up the hill for how long, and you got it in theaters. And like, yeah, he did what Sisyphus could not. Yeah, right. go ahead, go for it. So, what, so what are the creative uh, differences? Well, uh, a couple of things happened. First, uh, a side note: a month earlier, mm. in April of 2014. This was the fissure of Kurtzman and Orsi. Or- uh, I love that this is the background of this is just like popping back and forth around like, right, it's like different Game of dates and events. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, <laughs> this is it's speaking, you know, the, that sweeping epic that right. Jack Spates was looking for. He's in one. He's in one. <laughs> <laughs> I want one day I want someone to make a sweeping epic. Yeah. Right. Like just a, an epic about. People who sweep. sweep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like well, chimney sweeps. It'd be a great tagline. Yeah. yeah. Sweeping sweep. epic. And it's like a janitor. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Great. Someone make it. Boom. Anyway. That's what, the, that's, what the, that's what the tagline of the, the um, Hot Cheetos, a flaming hot a movie sweeping epic. Been. That would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been good. Yeah. Because it's not a real story anyway. So. Right. Yeah. It's all, yeah. Yeah, do it's all fake. Want. Yeah. Uh, in it. April of 2014, Kersman and Orsi, the writer team, would break up and part ways. Orsi would leave to focus on Star Trek Three. Mm-hmm. which, as we covered it during our Star Trek series, mm-hmm. would end up not happening. Mm-hmm. And Kurtzman would remain on board the Mummy reboot. So what happened? Mm-hmm. Why did Andy Muschietti leave the Mummy reboot? That's and, the question everyone's been asking. Well, uh, a funny thing happened in between 2013 and 2014. Universal, for whatever reason, Alex Kurtzman began uh, ruminating on the idea of the Mummy being sort of a backdoor pilot, if you will, to a larger cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and so... A darker cinematic a darker, universe. If this is why he leaves, that is the most ironic ver- reason for him to leave. Well, yeah, because he only wants to make movies that end a cinematic universe. He doesn't want <laughs> to start one. He yeah. wants to end them. Come on. So, uh, Muschietti, the movie that Muschietti signed on to make. Little did he know he could have done both with this one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the movie that Andy Muschietti signed on to direct, the Mummy reboot. Yeah, he was sold a dark, scary oh, universe, modern, yeah, a, 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 an epic horror movie like the one John Spades was talking about. Take out yeah. the scary, just dark universe. It's cleaner. It's cleaner. <laughs> And um, back when that was it, when it was just going to be a modern well, it wasn't it. mummy movie. Oh, God damn it. That's, <laughs> That's like, a, yeah, we're, an, we're like in an Abbott Costello <laughs> team who famously met Frankenstein. Oh, there we go. Oh. Um, so Should then put those guys in this movie. when all of a sudden the mummy had potential to be like the Iron Man of the Dark Universe, of this right. universal monster experiment, uh, they were like, well, now this needs to be more of like a family-friendly adventure movie. Mm. And Eddie Muschietti was like, well, that's not the movie I want to make. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to bail. Yeah. <laughs> right. And make it. I'm also – it's it's interesting just talking about that, like this being the Iron Man. I'm sure that there was a 
sense from Tom Cruise of like regret over not making Iron Man happen mm-hmm. when he was sort of like kind of involved, targeted. Sure, back in the nineties. Yeah, like Ish. I'm sure seeing what happened as a result of him turning down that project mm-hmm. kind of made him a little bit angry. Um, put a pin. I'm a well, I'll yeah, put a yeah, pin yeah. in Iron Man because I actually watching the movie after uh-huh. all of my research, I had kind of a revelation as to maybe a way that this mummy movie could have worked in the way that they wanted it to. Um, yeah, in July, I also have thoughts on that. So can't yes. wait. In July of 2014, uh, a Deadline article announced the uh, brain trust behind this new universal monster universe mm. that was being assembled. Alex Kurtzman and Chris Morgan, famous for writing at least four or five of the Fast and Furious movies. Yeah, he's the guy who like made them what they are now. Like, yeah. Turned them into big action. Spy, interconnected James Bond spy. Totally. Heist right, movies. Right. Uh, Kurtzman and Chris Morgan would serve as the architects of narrative. <laughs> Put that uh, on a business card. Yeah. If, I'm a, if I'm a writer, I'm, I'm throwing that right on. I'm somewhat of a, a narrative architect. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was also reported in this article that Universal had began taking meetings for directors and writers for an interconnected slate of monster films, mm-hmm. which, again, ironically, could have been like, hey, and, and like Andy Muschietti could have been like, hey, I don't, I'm not really interested in doing any of this like crazy universe stuff. Right. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, this movie, if this movie was unencumbered by like we're building a franchise, I feel like even if it was this almost the same movie, but if they were just like, this is. It stands alone. It's the mummy. Yeah, I feel like it would have made more money. Oh sure, yeah, you yeah. Know? I mean, we. I mean, it felt I can't so wait to... cynical when we all knew that they were trying to build a franchise, right? And I also, I also feel like it would have been structured completely differently. Oh, definitely. But... Yeah, it would change the whole DNA yeah, of it. Yeah, the but... whole, whole thing. But yeah. um, and then, and also, kind of like this was where the the idea of these monsters somehow being the protagonists, right, mm-hmm. of their story. You know, we at the very, our first joke when we started this episode was like, oh, they're all going to team up to fight. Dracula, like the, like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Right, right, right. When it's like, does anybody want to see Frankenstein like in army fatigues or oh. dropping out of a plane? You know? <laughs> well, I, I, well, now that I said well, you might, you might be talking so, to someone yeah. who really wants to see that. I have, I have I, yeah, okay. I have so many thoughts about all of that. Sure. I'm so excited to actually um, talk about this movie. <laughs> and then, uh, in July 30th, just a, a few weeks after that birthday. deadline article. Oh, really? Mm, wow. Yeah. Uh, Alex Kurtzman had entered final negotiations to direct mm. The Mummy. This would be his only his second film. His first movie, a movie I have not seen. It's called People Like Us. Stars Chris Pine and Zoe Saldana. Right. Oh, oh, right. Yeah. Wow. For some reason, that that is that made me think it was a Greg Berlanti movie. But that that movie is Life or something like it. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, very character centric drama studio dramedies. Right, right. Uh, Makes total sense that mm. you would go from that to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, brief. So uh, there's a, quite a few writers credited to this movie. Uh, one of which is Jenny Lamette, daughter of sure. Sidney Lamette and screenwriter of one of my favorite movies, Rachel Getting Married. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. The Ang Lee movie, right? Uh, yeah, Rachel Getting Married, yeah. The Mummy. Uh, so Jenny Lamette's big contribution to this whole operation was, without telling Universal or Alex Kurtzman, uh, change the gender of the mummy Whoa. T- to Princess Amonet. And was like, hey, what if she was like a power-hungry, you know, super, like, I don't want to say the phrase girl boss, because I don't know if that was in her head, but, you know, kind <laughs> of like, you know. Uh, sort of like a bossy girl. Sort of like a bossy girl, like an ambitious yeah. Power hungry villain, as opposed to like a star crossed lover like Imhotep was. Right. 
And uh, to her surprise, Kurtzman and Universal were like, oh, hell yeah, Girl Mummy. Let's do it. Great. Cool. And so they never changed that. That uh, the Prince Samanet stayed. But as it turns out, it's Tom Cruise that was the mummy the whole time. Absolutely. But... So <laughs> it has been said by many people that worked on this, on this production mm-hmm. uh, that there is a before Tom Cruise mm-hmm. and an mm-hmm. after Tom Cruise. I have heard this phrase as well. Period. Yeah. In November of 2015... Uh, Tom Cruise was announced to be in talks to star in this Mummy reboot. Um, I found this interesting Variety article. It's just as a context in November of 2015, so a couple weeks before this. Um, This is like my first quote. Uh, Donna Langley, chair of Universal at the time, uh, said that this is where these characters will interact across movies. Mm. We are going to be creating like an interconnected version, kind of like into Marvel. Mm. Tom Cruise being in this movie in general... Is very strange to me because when, if ever, other than this, has Tom Cruise worked with such an inexperienced director? Um, I mean, Doug Lyman, when did they first work together? I mean, I honestly, I think it's surprisingly common in the modern action star Cruise era because... Chris McQuarrie, when he directed, did he direct the first Jack Reacher? Was that? Yeah. Or no, Lyman did the first. No. Right? No. Um, McQuarrie did Jack Reacher, and before that, he did The Way of the Gun. Right. So McQuarrie had one movie. No, he had two. The Way of the Gun. Right. Well, like The Way of the Gun, and then Jack Reacher oh, was oh, the oh, Tom oh, Cruise oh, movie. Right, right, right. That's also Tom uh, Cruise. I was, thinking, I was thinking leading to Mission Impossible. Uh, right, right, right. Like, yeah. And then Doug Lyman, you know, he had The Born Identity. Right. Oh, that's right. He did do the, okay. Jumper. So. <laughs> Right, yeah, right. But, well, wait. but then oh, um, Joe Kaczynski who did Oblivion, and then obviously Top Gun Maverick. Right, um, he had Tron. done Tron. Right, he had done okay, and Tron Legacy is a big movie, but that was his only movie before yeah, working yeah. with Tom but, Cruise. Uh, but yeah, no, Alex anyway. Kurtzman's inexperience as a director would definitely come into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so uh, especially I assume inexperience handling a star like Tom Cruise, right? Yeah, who has to be handled very specifically as Christopher McQuarrie has learned. They had had some experience working yeah. together, Roberto and Orsi, or Kurtzman and Orsi, having written Mission also, Impossible Three. Not for nothing, Brad oh, Bird had right. never made a live there. action thing before either. Do, do what? Brad Bird had never made right. a live action thing. Oh, so he was true. honestly in this period. Tom Cruise was sort of working with a lot of inexperienced mm-hmm. directors. Interesting. So okay. shortly after. Uh, Tom Cruise was announced to star in the Mummy reboot. Uh, word began, uh, stories began circulating and being commissioned about uh, Universal making moves into this dark universe. Still not named Dark Universe, by the way. Right. Just uh, interconnected Universal monster movies. Sure. Right. In uh, February of 2016, Deadline announced that Johnny Depp was attached to star right. in an Invisible Man movie. <laughs> Which is, a, that is just so funny to me because it's like, oh, I know. Let's put Johnny Depp, huge international star, and we'll put him <laughs> in a movie where no one has to look at him. Yep. And he doesn't have to be fed lines through an earpiece because he's doing it all from a VO booth. Yeah. On the Invisible Man. Perfect. God, that would have been, like, truly would have been the easiesest bag Johnny Depp has ever secured in his life. 1,000%. Like, <laughs> God damn, he'd show up for, like, three days of filming per movie. Yeah. Oh. And uh, about a year later, in April of 2017, mm-hmm. in the wake of Beauty and the Beast becoming a huge hit for Disney, Bill Condon was attached to direct A Bride of Frankenstein remake. Which was his, like, dream project. For a long time, he did Gods and Monsters, right? Yes. In the 90s. Loves Bride of Frankenstein. It's like his favorite movie. It's like his favorite movie. He's obsessed with it. He references it in like tons of his Breaking movies. Dawn. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So 
something that I didn't really think was about. Was there a filmmaker attached to Invisible Man? Uh, no, okay. not to my knowledge. Interesting. Um, I I forget sometimes that these all would have been set in the modern day. Yeah. I think they were supposed to be, yeah, because yeah. I think they were all suppo- like sort of like the Avengers, where it was like every single one of these was like an origin thing, which is the most like misguided sort of no, for sure. thing people have done. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think I don't think this was ever. I don't think they had a director attached. It was just like Johnny Depp is going to be this. Uh, Tom Hardy and Javier Bardem were courted for the part of Henry yeah. Jekyll. Yeah. Oh. But Javier Bardem ends up being Frankenstein, right? Yes. When it's announced. This is yeah, the thing. They just keep, <laughs> wow. they keep recycling the same guys. And wasn't, didn't they sign on Tom Hardy for one of the other things too? Or no? Like Wolfman or something? Or, Maybe. Yeah, I could um, be wrong. I don't know. Because the, I, I, the initial image, the mm. Dark Universe image, is just Tom Cruise, uh, Sophia, what's her face? Patella. Right. Angel- Angelina Jolie. No. No? She was always rumored. She's not in the cast photo. She's oh, not. right. Yeah. It's oh. Tom Cruise, Russell Crowe, Javier Bardem, Sophia Butella, and Johnny Depp. That's okay. the photo. Okay. What? But yeah, it was kind of like rumored that she was going to be like the Bride of Frankenstein. Right, right. Which would, you know, which would have been cool. Would have been good. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I mean, yeah, if, if Bill Condon was on board for it, right. then fine. Yeah, for In sure. April of 2016, production of The Mummy reboot would finally begin. Mm-hmm. In Oxford. And uh, you're right, Scott. Uh, uh, very quickly, reports of uh, Tom Cruise. So basically, so, uh, Universal granted Tom Cruise contractually control over the script, mm-hmm. script approval, post-production decisions, marketing, release. It was Cruise who advocated for a June debut. Listen, the thing you have to understand about Tom Cruise is that this is a good choice yeah. because – if there, there's two things that you know that Tom Cruise loves, he loves movies and he loves his popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah. this, is, this, is a, this would be a great movie to eat popcorn twist. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, no brainer. <laughs> so, yeah, like just tons of like anonymous quotes and details of Cruise sort of micromanaging everything from action sequences, lenses camera lenses for Kurtzman to use because like right. I think his maybe cruises from his POV is like oh this dude doesn't have it yeah the way that Christopher McQuarrie would right. or Brad Pitt or Brad Bird yeah right. this guy is kind of rudderless so we're getting this movie done right yeah. so if I need to step in and direct this I will and he, he he's also like a big producer guy yeah like he yeah. produces all of his own movies he's and he's like very hands-on even yeah even with the most experienced directors he works with he's still really hands-on he mm-hmm. he's always giving feedback on lenses and like reconceptualizing scenes and yeah. like because he's also like a movie star in the truest sense of the word in yeah. terms of like he knows what it takes to make himself look good on film. Yeah. He's not he's not good at conceiving of a movie, but he is good at knowing what an audience is going to respond to in a yes. given scene. Like he can do the micro stuff very very well and I think it's one of the like some of the things that do work in this movie I think are mm-hmm. are the parts where you're really feeling yeah. Tom Cruise's fingerprints. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the stuff that doesn't work on this movie is the stuff that kind of feels like it was set in stone before Tom Cruise ever started stepping in and right. trying the macro to kind stuff, of like the yeah. prodigium and yeah, all that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, a lot of, a lot of footage on the Blu-ray as well as like quotes that I found of Tom Cruise, you know, your classic Tom Cruise quotes. Right. About, it's all about entertainment. I see myself as an audience member first <laughs> with my popcorn. So things like, you know, and like story is king. 
right. all that. So really kind of getting into like the bones of, uh, I found this really interesting quote. And as far as Nick Morton goes, um, the arc of Nick Morton, mm -hmm. Tom Cruise's character in The Mummy, mm -hmm. is a monster of a human being has to become a monster to find his humanity. Mm-hmm. I that huh. is super clean and I like that. I wish any of that was on the <laughs> Sure, right? yeah, no, for sure, absolutely. Um, I unfortunately, it's weird because normally it, it was weird to find myself on the side of the micromanaging control freak movie star, right? But like when I was watching the movie, yeah. I was like, God, if this had like a better director, I also, totally. if, I, if I'm not mistaken, right. And I'm sure maybe you'll get to it, but there were like massive reshoots on this, right? Or just like on set, like there wasn't like a like a like a, a period where they like went back and like shot for like thirty days. Not that I could see. I mean, oh. other than like maybe standard reshoots. Okay. Um, I know uh, uh, Dracula Untold. Mm. That one had a lot. Yeah, was coming out was going to be a standalone movie. And then was kind of like, well, maybe this is the dark universe. And then when that bombed, they were like, nope, nope, never mind. No, it's not. The mummy is. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the whole deal was that like Cruz brought Macquarie, Christopher Macquarie, who's his frequent collaborator, on to like on set Script a lot there. as kind of like yes. let's try and reconceive and rewrite these scenes the way that we yes. do in our Mission yeah. Impossible movies. On, on set rewrites, as well yeah. as a writer named Dylan Cussman, mm. who uh, worked on like Jack Reacher. Yeah. He, he he must just be using terrible language all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Cussman. Real, I mean, especially on this movie. So, yeah. yeah, so Cruz did bring in two of his writers, McQuarrie and Cussman, to beef up the script, which coincidentally, figure this one out, found Princess Amonette's role getting smaller and smaller <laughs> and Nick's role getting bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, things like uh, Nick Morton becoming cursed. Huh. That kind of uh, American Werewolf in London right. angle. Right. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. That's like just a total rip yeah. off of that. Yeah. And so, so, so Sophia Batella's role found herself getting smaller and smaller. Uh, fun part about anecdote about her getting cast. She was having a meeting with uh, mummy producer Jeb Brady mm. post Kingsman where she played uh, the Miss, Blade Runner. Miss, Mrs. Knife Legs or whatever yeah. her name was. <laughs> the Blade Runner. Yeah. Blade <laughs> Runner. And then so she ran into uh, Jeb Bush. Jeb Brady was like, excuse me. Uh, ran across the office to Al Kirkman's office, and he goes, I don't want to bother you, but I just found your Aminat. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And she was cast. Um, Everyone loved casting her as, like, this is my favorite thing about Hollywood, when she, when someone plays a role, right? like, they love to cast that person in basically the same exact type of performance, where it's like, oh, she didn't talk much in Kingsman, so let's cast her for this other thing where yeah. she doesn't talk much. Because right. I think it's a thing where it's like, wow, she's got a lot of presence. Yeah. But they're like, but they don't want to ruin that by like, you know, letting her act. Right. <laughs> they just, it, it, like, it's it's a bummer um, yeah. that they don't like trust that she's like a good actress. Yep. They're just like, oh, you have a lot of screen presence. Yeah. So you're like going to be yeah. really good in roles like this. Um, it's the same thing with Batista, right. where like most of the time people cast him, they're like, no, you can be like a silent, like sort of just yeah. guy who's there to punch. And it's like, oh, no. Like the Inspector. Thing, yeah. Yeah. yeah inspector. To, uh, to keep circling back to previous episodes of the show. Mm. Sophia Batella had just wrapped her performance as Jayla in Star Trek Beyond. Right. And was somewhat hesitant to go straight from one makeup heavy role straight into another makeup heavy yeah. role. But when she saw that she was already in like concept art and been like, hey, we're really envisioning you for this character. Oh and my blah, God. Blah, she was like, okay, cool. I'll work with Tom Cruise. Gosh, I'll be the mummy. So good as Jayla. I'm yeah. also excited for her to uh, be the lead in Rebel Moon. 
later this oh, year. Oh, yeah. right. Hell yeah. I'm really excited about that. Good yeah. for her. Yeah. She fucking deserves it. She's yeah. been through the ringer. No, for sure. I like her. Um, yeah, and we'll get into like, some of the stuff, physical stuff she had to do in our walkthrough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess to even go like up to the release, the infamous uh, cast photo mm-hmm. yeah. of the Dark Universe cast, the movie was tracking poorly. Mm-hmm. So they were like, oh, I think we need to really maybe roll this out. So May 22nd, 2017 is actually the famous day that that infamous cast photo was released, as well as <laughs> a uh, Twitter video called God, a YouTube video, Gods and Monsters, mm-hmm. which was like a super cut. You can still watch it on YouTube. It's a super cut of Universal Monster footage narrated by, I think, like Dr. Pretorius from Bride of Frankenstein, where he's mm-hmm. like, you know, there's monsters out there. And then... It ends with like the reveal of the Dark Universe mm. logo. Right, 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 right. I remember that. Yeah. Wow. And uh, <laughs> and it just immediately dunked on. Yes. Yeah. Just brutal. Absolutely brutal dunks. Yeah. Because like, it's it's the biggest. It's like the the craziest. Like, you know, counting your eggs before you hat before they hatch. Yeah. That like any studio has ever done. Yeah. Yeah. They just. How much did this movie cost? Um. I have it. I have it right here. It uh, a budget of one hundred and ninety million. It's too much. A hundred million of which was just <laughs> to market. That's too much. I remember this. Is, this came out the summer that I the well, first that, summer that I lived in L.A. From what mm-hmm. it seems like is that hundred million was additional. Oh, the one ninety okay. was just production, and got then it. another hundred on marketing for sure. For sure. Oh, Fucking got it. Crazy. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, I remember. So this came out the summer, the first summer that I was in L.A. And I remember driving. What's that mall? Highland, that outdoor kind of mall, Hollywood and Highland, Hollywood and Highland. Uh, they made a massive, like hundreds of foot tall sarcophagus. <laughs> remember that? Oh, Princess Ominous sarcophagus. Wow, hell yeah, dog. And I remember driving past, being like, wow, Hollywood. <laughs> they do this oh, for every man. movie. Jeez, that's that's so crazy. I. The 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 thing that I just the the biggest misconception I assume where you, you were done with the lead up we're talking movie now yeah yeah, yeah for sure that uh, was <laughs> that was the entire yeah the the thing that's this that's so wild about this movie as it stands right now or like as as it ended up is just that there's no world in which this should be in any conception that this should be the movie that like kicks off a larger universe of monster hunters no. like it just it's not the story for that. And it's crazy the, that you wouldn't, no matter what, start with Van Helsing or just try and canonize the classic Universal Monsters movie and, like, mm. basically develop the new, like, the new Mummy and the new Bride of Frankenstein or whatever as pseudo-sequels to the right. classic movies without, yeah. obviously, in a way where you don't have to go and, like, watch those or, like, know anything about sure. them. Sort of like how the Incredible Hulk, like, works if you have or haven't seen Ang Lee's Hulk. Right. Kind of assuming everyone has at least seen enough of or knows, knows Bella enough Lugosi, about Dracula, Frankenstein or, or the Mummy. Using the iconography to yeah. its advantage, to its fullest yeah. advantage. Totally. Because yeah. if you're going to, like, remake them for the modern day anyway, you might as well just be like, you know what, this is a world where all these monsters exist already yeah. and now we're going to kind of... Well, and I, I also just think that, like, The Mummy is the literally the worst possible choice yep. to start with. Yep. Um, and I think that, like, the plot of this movie has a, has a lot of problems. But, like, just as a, as a world-building thing, I think that it's a mistake and it's a mismatch of character and 
material, I yeah. guess. Um, totally. Because I'm like, why is this a military a military film, like a Call of Duty movie for the right. first half of this? Because you're like, oh, the desert, Iraq is in the desert, so Ugh. military, boom. Because if that's the only reason, I feel like that there's no plot reason for mm-hmm. why this should be military. Whereas, like, if you were to make a Frankenstein movie and it's modern day, and and the military hires Victor Frankenstein to make super soldiers out of dead soldiers, and that's your starting point as the plot for this. That's like, fun. New, yeah, see, yeah. that's fun, and it makes sense to a plot and story, and it all like clicks, and you're like, oh yeah, that's an interesting, updated, modern version right. of Frankenstein. But, like, this isn't an interesting, updated, modern version of The Mummy. No. It's, like, it, it, it's doing this weird Macquarie, like, Mission Impossible, Jack Reacher military thing. Yeah. But then it's also doing a lot of the Brendan Fraser Mummy stuff, like the face in the in the, in the, the, face in the right. sand, sand and all of that. Well, and that's the other mistake, too, is, like, of all of the movies that you have in your repertoire right. – one of those franchises right. had a recent, fairly iconic exactly. interpretation. Why would that be your lead-in? Exactly. Like, your lead-in should be, like, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Right. Because at this point, Shape of Water hadn't happened yet. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, like, Creature from the Black Lagoon should have been your first one. Because it's like, who has a huge attachment to Creature from the Black Lagoon outside of, like, super-duper, yeah. like, horror film nerds? Yeah. You, you, yeah. Know, you know the monster. You know the creature. Right. You're like, oh, it's a Creature from the Black Lagoon. You can literally do but... anything with the Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. And you could compl- get somebody with a pitch... Just make that movie, and there's your Iron Man. I kind of almost wonder if Creature from the... Because, so Guillermo del Toro in 2007 was offered the, basically the Dark Universe, like the Monster Universe. He was offered the chance to just be like, yeah, do whatever the fuck you want with all this. Yeah. And he turned it down, and sometimes I wonder if The Shape of Water was just what he might have done with Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm -hmm. Like, if he just sort of went back to it and was like, sort of in the way that Zack Snyder went back to his Star Wars pitch. Yeah, for sure, for sure. There's a lot in The Shape of Water... That if you you don't make it such a romance, yeah. have the romance in there. Right. But scale it back a little bit. And then you look at like um, – what's his name? Zod. Um, Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. And the organization that he works – like you can squint and make it all updated to modern day. And like everything kind of still kind of clicks mm-hmm. as the first step in what this is. Right. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I obviously I prefer Best Picture winner The Shape of Water sure. to the start of a dark universe, but you know I'm just saying. Um, I kind of had this revelation watching The Mummy this morning, where it's like you know it's a shame that the director is sort of rudderless, mm-hmm. overwhelmed, mm-hmm. and then I was like, ah, who who could have made a, a better version of this Mummy that they wanted to make? Mm. And I was thinking about like you know late twenty. Seven, you know, a director with that maybe, you know, like you said, knows how to communicate with crews. Uh-huh. Uh, Jason, who directed Tom Cruise's funniest performance? His funniest performance? I mean, like Ben Stiller. I think Ben Stiller would have made a really good mummy movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, that's good. interesting. Post Walter Mitty. Sure. Kind of like, hey, you're a filmmaker. And like that kind of the one to one of John Favreau. Right. Before the Iron Man was known as a comedy guy. Like, hey, right. Because, like, this movie tries to be funny. Mm-hmm. And not in, like, like it wants to have, like, a, and, like, Nick Morton is a fun character. Yeah. Or trying to be a fun character yeah. for Cruz to play. Yeah. And I just think 
if you had had someone that kind of knew how to get the weirdness out of him the way that Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. clicked. Yeah. Yeah. And like a movie that is like a little bit funny and a little bit scary. Mm-hmm. I think the big mistake this movie makes is trying to copy Marvel. Definitely. And making these like superhero action adventures. But if they had leaned more in the horror comedy angle, that would be filling a hole. Definitely. You know, I, like, but I but I do feel okay. that like while it does and no, I and I totally agree with the Ben Stiller. I, <laughs> I love that idea. That's great. Um, but the thing that I noticed watching this um is that the plot of this movie follows almost exactly every first season of a Marvel Netflix show Ah. where he doesn't put on his quote unquote costume Mm. until the very end of the movie. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. The, the final like Mm. 20 minutes of the final episode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas I believe there's a bit in this where he is hiding in a huddled in a corner. Right. And Jenny is like trying to get near him. He's like, don't get near me. And I'm like, this should be the start of act two. Mm, Yeah. Everything that happened before this should have been all taken care of in Act yeah. One, and this is the start of Act Two, where like he's a mummy now. He has the powers of of a, a set, right. um, you know, and it's he, it's a buddy movie between him and Jake Johnson, who I honestly think have pretty good chemistry as yeah. like you know yeah, yeah. co leads. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. If you're trying to do a superhero movie, like. The the yeah. worst thing you could do in a superhero movie is not have Spider Man get his powers until the third act. Like mm. this is, and that's the problem. It's like they are trying to do the Iron Man thing. They yeah. are trying to make a superhero movie, but they it's like they don't know how to do that. Yeah, right. They don't know what that is supposed to look like or what the structure of that is. Right. right. Well, they're they're so focused. They're so focused. I think they got so distracted by the twist of turns out he's the mummy. You know, like, but, that, but that's not that's the thing. That should be the whole pitch. It should be the whole that's pitch. Entirely different from what happened before. Yep. So if you're gonna do this, fucking go it's for it. It's the it's genuinely it's the bad robot problem of they can't yeah. stop hiding the ball. Yeah. They no matter it's what yeah. they they were going to do it in Ghost Protocol and yep. Brad Bird and Macquarie came in and were like, okay, this is going to kill us. We need to just immediately like leave out the twist, leave out the weird. Like we're hiding what the concept of this movie is. Tell people what the movie is, and then yeah. just. Make it well enough that they yeah, will find it compelling right. in that process. That like, kind of like the fetishization of like the the, the, secret, the reveal. Of yeah. Like, Once I was a little boy and I didn't know that Darth Vader was Obi Wan's. Right. And I'm gonna you have to, everything has to be a surprise. Right. Yeah. Right. It's 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 relying on shock value over like character investment. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. Because um, yeah, it's in in Spider Man or in Iron Man too. Like the 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 most fun parts of those movies, the thing that gets you in on like getting through the other two hours of the movie afterward is that like when they first discover their powers or first get the suit or first mm-hmm. enter into this new world, yeah. mm-hmm. like that, that, that it's a fun fucking time and we're figuring it out and stumbling along with them as we get there. And like, yeah, you have Jake Johnson as the guy who's there to be like, yeah. Oh man, don't do that. Try this. Cause, like, Cause that's the thing too. Is like, you yeah. can even, you can even kill Jake Johnson in yeah. the first act but then one of the things that he discovers once he gets his powers is that people. he brings his friend back to life. Right. Because he wants to. Because he wants I to. I wish my buddy was still alive. Like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. you brought me back to life because right. you have the powers of set. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, and I think that that's, that's more interesting. And the idea of like the tragic gothic romance, which you get glimpses of through mm-hmm. this movie. There's this one sequence in this movie that I'm like, God, if the whole fucking movie felt like this, this movie would fucking rock. Mm. And it's the move it's the it's after he leaves the bathroom 
um, and goes out into the alley and the rats attack mm, him yeah. as, oh, yeah. as she's like crawling down the alley. And I'm like, this is so gothic and fucking cool. Yeah. This is a cool sequence. And then nothing like that in the rest of the movie. The nope. closest thing is like when she uh, raises those two guys that she soul sucks under the pier right. or whatever. They become her, they become her zombie slaves yeah. or whatever. And then when they're like holding him down and she's on top of him. Right. Um, yeah. th- those are the only bits in this movie where you get that gothic vibe yeah. that you want. And the rest of it either feels like a Desert Storm movie or a fucking Morbius. Right. <laughs> kind of like urban this, blue. Shit, this movie does feel so much like Morbius. Yes. My god, like they are they are so similar. That's yeah. crazy. The the sterilization of yep. horror. Yep. Of I, like of like making everything feel like a medical procedure. Yeah. 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 The, this whole like, thing where you're like taking a character who's like the whole fun is that they're a monster and trying to be like no, but they're going to be a monster who like takes down the other monsters and it just always ends ends up feeling completely toothless completely uninspired you don't care about the characters and you don't care about the threat that's against like it just you end up not caring about anything because it's all trying to be two things at once that are you know polar opposites of each other uh i feel like the best way to go forward yeah is to do the walkthrough okay from this point and then we'll just find yeah so russell crowe finds a tomb yes uh, but it, not the tomb you're thinking. In the of. movie, yes. In the no, 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 no. <laughs> yes. He finds he finds uh, the tomb of um, Princess Amanet. No, the guys. The, the oh, the, the Knights Templar, the Knights the, Templar, yeah. or the Crusader Knights. Yeah, the Crusader Knights. Um, and he's like, "Wow, this reminds me of this." And then <laughs> and then we get uh, a little a little like a glimpse into the history of of uh, Princess Amanet. Uh, daughter of a pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Um, she is destined to become pharaoh herself, the first female pharaoh mm-hmm. um, in, in Egypt or wherever it is that they're, they're in. It is just Egypt? Well, uh, yeah, uh, the wording that, that uh, Henry Jekyll has is she was going to be like the princess of Egypt. Right? Okay, all right. So uh, the pharaoh uh, has eyes with this other woman. Mm-hmm. Um, they bang... He gets a son, and now Princess Amanet is like, "Oh, cool! So I'm not going to be Pharaoh now because he, she has, he has a fucking boy, yeah. and uh, fuck that kid." And it's like, it's like the most like, like three year old jealous of like the new baby right. thing, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh, let's just this is going to be the plot of our <laughs> this, this this is like the her tragic backstory." Yeah. Um. So she makes a pact with Set, uh, for power. And kills her father and uh, her brother, her baby brother, and uh, the, the mother. The, the mother. Um, and uh, and then part of the deal was set is that she has to like sacrifice some guy with his dagger that will let him possess that guy, mm-hmm. and then together they're just gonna like rule the world together. Yeah. He's gonna be. She's gonna be Set's queen. Um. But of course, uh, she's caught, and as Russell Crowe says, "mummified alive." Oh. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, "I don't think you know what mummification is, <laughs> because you just wrapped her in bandages and buried her alive." Yeah, um, being a mummy, mummification isn't wrapping someone up in bandages. <laughs> yeah. Says you, asshole. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's a much more uh, horrifying procedure to happen alive. Yeah. So uh, you know, I mean, like, so Sophia Batella. Great presence. Yeah. Almanac, great look. There's some really genuinely creepy stuff in this. Mm-hmm. Like Set walking up behind her while she's praying to him yeah. and handing her the dagger. Creepy. Good yeah. stuff. Good visuals. Yeah. Um, there are moments in this movie where I'm like, if the whole movie felt like this, 
I would be way more on board. Mm-hmm. But it's like as soon as you introduce the military-industrial complex into this movie, <laughs> it loses anything gothic about it. Right, Because yeah. whatever the opposite of goth is, I'm pretty sure it's the military. There's nothing gothic about <laughs> ordering in a, a, a missile strike. No, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, so the London thing is uh, apparently, you know, London is is like built on tombs and like generations of catacombs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was why they were like, oh, London, that this would be a cool place to set our mummy movie. Yeah, France is too, right? Because you got the... Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a big plot point in uh, American World from Paris. Oh, okay. <laughs> Actually. As um, above, so below. Right. And then we meet Nick Morton yes. and Chris Vale in Iraq. Uh, they are two dudes working in the military, two knuckleheads who join the military just to make their way around and steal artifacts and sell them on the black market and get rich. Yeah. They are not looters. They are what? Liberators of antiquities. Right. Exactly. Um, so kind of Tony Starkish in terms of like, mm. you know, low key committing charming war crimes. True. But there's also this sense of they're not willing to take Nick far enough into monster territory for the the pitch that you said they had in terms of his character arc. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work because, like, it's not – he's – Tom Cruise can't help but be a likable screen presence. I was going to say, uh, Jason, did you ever see the Doug Lyman Tom Cruise movie where he's uh, the, the, the Contra American Maid? Oh, yeah. I fucking love that movie. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. I think that movie, he gets to be a little bit more of a scumbag. Mm. Definitely. Than, than Nick Morgan that, gets That for. character, like, truly just lift that character out of that movie and put it into this one, immediately a much better movie. Yeah. Okay. Even without changing too much. Like, him just being a loose cannon, like, kind of really dumb dude, like... Because they're trying to have it both ways in this yeah. movie, and it does, doesn't work. Yeah. Or, or, but, like, uh, there's one moment that I really am a fan of uh, when Russell Crowe is like back at the prodigium. Uh-huh. He's like, just make a sacrifice for the greater good. He's like, I don't give a shit about that at all. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You were talking to the wrong dude. <laughs> but, oh, man. But yeah, like they also want him to be like charming Han Solo. Right. Ethan right. Uh, sleeping like, around. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so he slept with Jenny. Um, this Jenny! Wo- this woman uh, who is an antiquities person, I guess, or he assumes because he steals an antique from her to sell on the black market. Yeah, they, they hook they up. Have, yeah, after they have a night together. Stole a map, and he's like, whoa. Kind of like, I wasn't even thinking about Tony Stark when I was watching the movie, but now in retrospect, it is kind of going for that, like, Robert Downey Jr. Right. scoundrel right. sort of energy. Yeah. I will, I you know, I think they did it better with Ryan Reynolds and Green Lantern, to be totally wow. honest. Wow. And, and <laughs> brutal. Yeah. I, I mean, you know. I think uh, I think in general that movie probably works better than this one. This uh, Jenny, played by Annabelle Wallace, yes. who would go on to star in one of my favorite movies of last year, no, twenty twenty one, *Malignant*. Mm, yes, right, that's right. That's right. Um, oh, okay. Cordy B. Vance, former president of SAG. Oh yeah, and right. this as the that's army right. guy, Mister Captain Army guy. Yeah, Mister Captain Army guy, indeed. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Jenny takes them to, uh, Aminette's tomb. Mm-hmm. They all go there together. The, 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 the missile strike. Yeah. Uh, unveiled. Right. The, the tomb. Right. Um, and, uh, while there, uh, Chris, AKA Jake Johnson, um, which by the way, I, I have to point out how distracting it is throughout this movie. Um, oh, the- that Jake Johnson is in this, who played Nick on 
new girl. Nick Miller. And, oh, yeah, having him talk to a guy named Nick. Yeah, is well, the f- very distracting. And the funny thing is, it seems like late in the game, they changed Tom Cruise's character's name to Nick. Because there's a draft that I have, which I, I meant to read before this, but a draft Ooh. of the script from John Spates, where his name's Tyler Colt. Mm. Oh, that's a much better name. Much better name. Colt. Jenny still has the same name, but Tyler Colt (laughs) was Nick Morton's name. Interesting. Colt, get down here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so... Morton! Chris, (laughs) while uh, uh, Jake Johnson is down there, he gets bit by spiders. Yeah. um, And in in doing so, he sort of gets possessed, Yeah, kind of, or turns into a zombie. Which, it's weird, because Nick, uh, uh, Tom Cruise says that they're camel spiders. They're not even poisonous. But he does die from that. Well, yeah, but I I believe they are ominous, ominous spiders. Oh, spiders. got it, got it, got yeah. it. Yeah, um, mummy business. Yeah, mummy business. So <laughs> so uh, they drag the thing onto the plane, and then we get that great plane sequence that became a meme where you so, took out all of the music, um, just left the sound effects and the loop group stuff, which is a which is <laughs> such a tragedy that that is what everyone thinks about yeah with it's a good sequence it is it's solid it's a kind of a microcosm of the relationship between alex kurtzman and tom cruise okay so to go back forward you know go back in time when they were filming the movie uh tom cruise was like i've always wanted to shoot a zero gravity plane sequence for real Mm. that's just been on my you know kind of like that magic list he has Of you know, whenever he's like doing publicity, yeah, and he's I want to do a movie in space, I want to climb that, I want to drive that, or that yeah. this would be a good spot. You know, they yeah. kind of reverse engineer Mission Impossible movies right. that way, right. It's his whole thing. He finds stuff that would be fun to look at on screen and then structure something around it, which is fucking yeah. cool. I respect the hell out of that, no, for sure. Yeah, so he goes, so uh, he walks up to Alex Kurtzman and he's like, Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna film this for real. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, n- no, I was thinking about doing it like Inception, you know, where you build a set and it rotates you. And you know, and we're on a soundstage, and you're really moving, but we're going to turn. Oh no, we're going to do that too. But we're going to we're going to actually go up into a plane. Tom Cruise coming in with Christopher Nolan <laughs> didn't do it practically enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. And Alex Hirschman was like, "Well, what do you mean?" And he goes, "No, like I already know all these guys. I'm an aviator. So there's this thing called the vomit comet, where you go straight up, like you're going to space. Yeah. You know, like in the in like the stratosphere. Then you level out, and that's what makes you weightlessness. And then you drop." For 20 seconds, the plane is just in free fall. Yeah. And it's called the Vomit Comet. And that's how we're going to film it. And Alex Hurstman was like, okay. So um, he's like, I guess I'm doing this now. Yeah. Oh, he didn't do shit. I I always think about I always think about um, that that the one my one favorite quote from all of friends, which is when Chandler buys the the ticket to Yemen and then like just gets like stuck going to Yemen. Oh, right. Yeah. Guess where I'm going to Yemen. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, that was Alex Kurtzman's guess I'm going to Yemen moment. Yes. Um, So there was a whole special feature on the Blu-ray about, you know, getting, getting the sequence together. Mm -hmm. Um, So first they like learned how to do it. They did a crew, they did a a stunt take Mm -hmm. um, where they would like, you know, redo like the choreography and all that. Um, So that plane that they're filming on when they were actually in free fall, every like ladder or battery or monitor is like soft and foamy. Oh, okay. So someone's like squeezing a ladder and it's like, look, see, so like, you know, Annabelle Wallace could hit her head on it and it wouldn't be like a real ladder. Right. Okay. Just like to make it safe. Um, Yeah. They did 64 takes of this. Uh, each take lasting no more Jesus. than like 30 seconds. Going 64, like doing 64 separate times that yeah. like 30, yeah, like 20, 30 second, whatever, like drop uh, from. 
That's got to, I can't imagine how your head and stomach feel after didn't a day they, of that. Didn't they shoot like most of Apollo 13 like this? Yeah, that, uh, Apollo 13 really broke the mold oh. on like shooting with the vomit comet. So it's yeah. mostly been used for like space movies. Yeah. Um, so when you watch Apollo 13, there's a lot of scenes where they're like strapped down because then they don't have to shoot that in yeah, the vomit comet because right. every time they move around, they shot it in the vomit comet. Ooh. So uh, it was 16 flights over the course of two days, this sequence. <sighs> And um, two day that sucks. <laughs> and I just imagine waking up on day two and just be like, well, shit. <laughs> God damn. And uh, what blew my mind is, you know, I'm watching this this feature out on the Blu-ray and like they land and they all get out of the plane and Alex Kurtzman approaches them from the ground. And you go, so how did it go? And Tom Cruise is like, oh, Alex it was beautiful. It was great. It was gorgeous. Like we shot it. And like you weren't even up there. Wow. I mean, I didn't have a lot of respect for Alex Kurtzman, but God now, damn. like, the fact that, like, your star is, like, this is what we're doing, and then you're not going to join them, that's not. Insane. Yeah. That's, that is not, that's not a cool director move. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not going to go up there and, like, be with the actors while they're, like, I'm, like, I'm not going to go Yeah, there. yeah. Because he's just, I mean, like, maybe I, just... I don't want to do this. <laughs> maybe he's afraid of heights. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, Maybe he's like John Madden. He, he takes a bus. I know that John Madden. John Madden. Uh, the entire time he was working, uh, both in football and also as a commentator, never once took a plane. That's wow. amazing. He was always he had his John Madden bus, and he'd he'd drive it from town yeah. to town. Picture the John Madden bus just being like his head. Yeah, Big <laughs> G also. Oh really? Afraid of flying. That's why he uh, left that Superman movie he was going to do because they were like, "We're going to we're we're going to film this in Australia," and he's like, "The fuck we are! I can't I can't drive to Australia." This was who? Uh, Uh, G. Oh, that's right. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it's too bad. That's crazy. Yeah, he won't. Um, He won't fly. But yeah, so um, yeah, the plane sequence is pretty cool. But they did even use they did end up using some the you know the, they built kind of like the Inception set where it does move around. Mm-hmm. But the scenes where they're like weightless and scaling around, and you know Annabelle Wallace to her credit did all of her own stunts. Um, wow! And, uh, wow! But yeah, I mean everything. I every time I watch this scene, I think about the the trailer with no sound. My <laughs> my favorite bit of this though is one I love Tom's acting. When during the entire sequence where Jake, oh, is, it's great, is lose mm-hmm. is is like yeah. trying to kill everybody. It's so like tense and scary and awkward. Yeah, and like when he's like when he takes the guy's gun and is like is like shooting him like so close and like crooked and weird. Yeah, it's it's like it just feels very like realistic mm-hmm. and not cool at mm-hmm. all. Right, which you're not used to seeing from Tom Cruise. So like I really respect the choices he made yeah. in that sequence. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot of moments like that. There's a great scene towards the end of this where Aminette is just like pimp slapping Tom Cruise to the ground. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um so yeah the plane crashes. I, but and, the the birds. The birds. I love the birds. I love that. I think that's good. Yeah. 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 Uh they watch the birds. Uh, there was like a one on one conversation between Kurtzman and Cruz, and they were like, Oh, yeah, you, you made me watch a movie like every day with you. And one of the movies that we watched was The Birds. So they shot for 14 hours a day, and then yeah. also he made him watch and a he movie. And <laughs> he apparently does that on like almost all his movies. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. 
He watches, I think, even on No Matter What, I think Tom Cruise does watch a movie every day. Well, good for him. I'm, yeah. I'm glad he has joy in life, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah. I, 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 I respect I, it. I relate. That's the only thing about him that I relate to is his, like, how he does go see, like, every new release in oh, theaters yeah. or yeah. tries to. Just loves the movies. Just loves the movies. Um, oh, like, and th- this is notable, I guess, for story reasons, like, character reasons, is uh, Nick has an uncharacteristically heroic moment where he gives Jenny the only parachute. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But then there's that joke of like, which I, I'm a fan of the joke where he's like, I didn't, that was the only parachute. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. Um, yeah. So he wakes up in the morgue. Yeah. This very was much alive. This was a Tom Cruise idea. Oh, just out of context. No, he was like, I think it would be cool as an audience member to have a character wake up in the morgue mm. and be naked and have like that, a, a and look, tag. Hey, that's a fun concept. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Um, so he wakes up in the morgue. This is when we first get our glimpse of uh, Corpse Chris, uh, American Werewolf ghost. Oh, yes. Yeah, Jake yeah. Johnson, zombie Jake Johnson. Right, yeah. Jake Zombie Chris in the movie. Uh, I, they only call him Vale. I just know him as Vale. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Chris Vale is his name. Um, yeah. And then we get, uh, because the plane crashed, Aminette is loose. Right. The guys are going to try and find the juice the, is loose. Yeah, trying to find <laughs> her her uh sarcophagus. Mm-hmm. Um, but they get their souls sucked instead. Pretty horrifying. Yeah, um, pretty way gnarly. more horrifying than anything in the uh Brendan Fraser movies. Oh, you think so? Um, in terms of like the sucking of the souls, yeah, I would say so. I guess the CG's gotten better. Y- yeah, but I also just think it's like moodier. Mm, yeah, darker. Yeah. Well, what do you think, Jason? And I know you haven't been rewatching the Mummy movies like we have. But. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I've I watched the first one semi recently. I do think this one goes a little darker than at least the first Brendan Fraser mm-hmm. Mummy because it's not going for as much of a like adventure tone. Mm-hmm. I think I think at the very least it's it is like grittier. <laughs> I think what I'm not able to separate is that that. The the '90s one scared me as a kid. Definitely. Oh, sure. And this because I was like an adult, but I bet like on its own merits, yeah, it's it's like more visceral and darker. And like he's like, there's like you're just like kissing them and like sucking the life out of yeah. them. And like the mummy in the Imhotep one, he's kind of just like opening his mouth, and then they would cut. Yeah. Yeah. And reveal like the mummified body of whoever he just attacked. Right. Yeah. There but, was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he. But but she's like turning them into like. Uh, Zombos, it, like like the like the cold open of the ring, like that. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. like that's what she's turning everyone into. Ooh. No, um, you already said. Did you say Gore Verbinski? Gore Verbinski for the Mummy? No, I didn't. But that's okay. Yeah, that would have been a really good choice. Would have also cost like three hundred million dollars. You know, <laughs> um, but might have been. You know, might have might have worked out because um, you know he does. I, well, I don't know. He just did the Lone Ranger, and that was a right. disaster. So, yeah. uh, an acting moment that I really like from Cruz is at the bar when Jenny's like, "Wait, so what happened?" And he's like holding a mug in one hand and a shot glass in the other, and he's kind of like, "I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how this happened." Um, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty fun. That's pretty. Yeah. The, that's a fun scene because she is given the most, the heaviest exposition ever uttered by another actor i <laughs> yeah. feel like and yeah. and he just has to like somehow find a way to react to that and then just like bail and go to the bathroom <laughs> veil veil bill yeah <laughs> a veil bail he pulls a veil bail uh jason what do you think how, how much are you offended by the uh the level of ripping off from american werewolf in london i i mean look i'm i'm not the world's biggest american werewolf in london london guy sure. i like saw it That's once when right. i was a teenager yeah mm-hmm. uh but but i it, like i 
it's just it's just strange to me that that would be the choice to do for this kind of like I don't know I did it just feels like everything is so misguided where it's like being derivative of the wrong stuff mm. like from top to bottom it just it, it feels like this mishmash of a bunch of movies that are like kind of in the same genre yeah. but not going for the same type of thing that you would want to go with yeah and I think all of this I think all of Zombo. Uh, American Werewolf in London. I think that's all Macquarie, Tom Cruise, other guy. Mm. Yeah, because well, my other issue with it is like it doesn't really make any sense. Like there's that bit where Jake Johnson is trying to get Tom Cruise to like feel guilty for killing him. Right. And Tom Cruise is like, no, I refuse to feel guilty about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and, and then that's sort you, of the end of you it. You kill Courtney B. Vance. Which like, is, what choice did I have? Yeah, which is the whole thing with, um, with uh, American Werewolf in London is like the whole point of those corpse guys is like it's his victims. Right. And they're telling him to kill himself so they – so that more of them, he stops killing people like them. It's his guilt. Yeah, and if you don't kill yourself, we are trapped haunting you forever until you die. Right, yeah. The only way to release us is for you to kill yourself. And, you know, uh, two birds, one stone, you stop killing people. Right, if you kill yourself. but he won't. So kill yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so it's an interesting dynamic. Whereas here, it's just like, fuck you, man, you killed me. And he's like, fuck you, you tried to kill me. All right. right. And then that's it. <laughs> and it's like, so why is he here? Like, yeah. what what purpose does he serve? I think, yeah, I I, I think, I, I I regret how the movie kind of gets bored with Aminette mm-hmm. so quickly because she is such an interesting presence, and like she she is, and I think that if they had leaned more into the horror of her, and I think you know your complaint about the original Mummy, the where it lulls for you, mm. is when Imhotep is trying to come back to his human form, and he's hunting down all of those Americans and sucking their souls mm-hmm. and right. becoming more human, and it just it's it's like thirty to forty minutes of like the meh part of that movie, right? But. but in this, yeah. if it had been her doing it, and it was as creepy and moody and gothic as this, the short, very short scenes where we get that, and she's building an army out of those people the way that she does here, sure, I think it's a little more interesting. Like the Sanderson little, sisters in Hocus yeah, Pocus. Well, just like if you just make it a little – you're making it a little scarier and a little mm. – um, like if you, if you leaned into the horror of those sequences and made it like – Victims in a slasher movie. Mm. Uh, okay. I think oh, like she's stalking modern day London. Right. And right. like, kind right. of like Hocus Pocus having like, what's Princess Omnette going to think yeah. of Trifligar Square? Yeah. Or like or whatever. This, this thing. Yeah, I mean, if you yeah. want it to be more, if you want it to be more horror inspired, then that's definitely, which it like seems like they did. That's, yeah, like. That's the thing is like they're trying to have their cake and, to, and eat it instead of picking a yeah. lane. So the tension just doesn't exist yeah. most right. of the time. Right. And exactly. So like when we did The Mummy, Jason, my kind of one criticism over that like, you know, classic movie uh-huh. is like, yeah, I think Act 2 kind of drags for me. Yeah. But in retrospect, the further along in this adventure we've gotten with our mummy mm-hmm. movies is at least during that lull, you get like really cool character stuff. Yeah. Totally. Like. Brendan Fraser chucking a chair at Benny. Yeah. Yeah. Or, it's all the stuff that you wish was in this movie where yeah. you're like, oh, that's a person. Well, yeah. I'm, like, I'm vibing with these characters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's very true. That being said, I will I will say this for this movie. 
uh, from a plot standpoint, I guess I guess it lulls a little bit in the um, what is it per, para what the prodigium it? prodigium section of the movie. <laughs> hey, it does drag a little bit that, off the, the sort right. of the sort of exposition. Right, uh, yeah. we have a franchise right. section where where everybody walks in a circle twice and then leaves. Yeah, um, that's the that's what <laughs> are we at the prodigium in the walk? Not, not quite, not okay. quite. We're almost there, but but um, other than the prodigium, which has a little bit of like a spark because you're like, so where is all this going, this dark universe thing? Right. So there's a little bit of that sure. part of it that's a little interesting mm-hmm. just from that aspect. Um, I will say that this movie, the pace of this movie is really solid. Yeah. It goes. It's under two hours. It, yeah, it's under two hours and it fucking goes. Even if I think that the entire movie should be act one. <laughs> Are we um, at the uh, the va- the ambulance chase? Uh, yeah. Uh, Where they steal the ambulance and cor- the zombies are like on on the car. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So 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 corpse Chris tells Nick that he's cursed, but he doesn't understand what that means yet. Um, we get the rat ominate scene, the I rat wish- ominate attack that I love. I I only wish they had been real rats. That's true. Because mm. it's like Tom Cruise is all about doing it for real. That's true. Yeah, and, do it for real, coward. Yeah. Put you rats all over yourself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, big Mr. Big Man want to go in the vomit comic. You're covered yeah. in rats. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and I think you could have also just done like real rats and then CGI rats that are like crawling on him. Yeah. Sure. You know, because how do you train a rat to do that? The He's standing upright. Yeah. Right. You got to have a, yeah, you gotta have a, couple, of, a yeah. couple of real rats. See, a couple of hero yeah. rats. You see one yeah. rat like upright boxing him in the face. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so we we learn that like Nick is gonna Nick is is, is supposed to be Seth's vessel now yeah. in the modern day, um, and he is. We get this sequence with the ambulance where he keeps driving back to her, mm-hmm. right? Subconsciously, not realizing it, which I actually think is like kind of an interesting thing. It's like there's a lot of interesting ideas here. It's just mm-hmm. none of them are executed well because there's they weren't thought of ahead of time, and the right. director isn't really on board for the movie he's making. Right? Yeah. I guess on the topic of tone, mm-hmm. a reference point, going back to all of those press releases and interviews with like Universal, Alex Kurtzman, Chris Morgan, Tom Cruise, and I guess this also uh, exp- uh, gives ammo to like me throwing Ben Stiller's name out earlier, mm-hmm. was they were like, well, you know, if you want to get technical, the Universal Monsters were the original cinematic universe right they were doing it before everybody because you had abbott and costello meet frankenstein right and to i watching this movie like well those were comedies right they were those were never like those were just funny because it was watching like a couple knuckleheads meeting dracula and frankenstein right Right. i remember someone was like oh i guess the closest equivalent be like if seth rogan and jonah hill met Dracula, (laughs) you know, or like this is the end, but like Dracula. Yeah. And so I guess that's also kind of going back into why this, 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 the universal monster landscape universe, whatever fits so awkwardly into like the Marvel action adventure Mm -hmm. box. They're trying to push these, these things into. Yeah, because the, the the idea of the shared universe, it, it's like it's like what we were talking about. Like again, the third time we're going to bring this up. Green Lantern. No, the idea oh. of of Dracula being like the vil, the villain in the Avengers sure. team up, the Loki, mm-hmm. right? The Loki. Um, 
there has to be a reason for all of them to be in a same universe together. In right. Marvel, it's that you form the Avengers, you know, and it's a shared universe of superheroes they mm-hmm. with a common goal. If it's just going to be if it, if it like what was what was the plan here you know like where was all of this going what was the point of any of this yeah because you could have just easily have just made a monster movie and then made a different monster movie and had one character from that movie in mm-hmm. the next one and then have a different character carry on from that one to another one and then eventually you're like oh okay so I guess they're all set in the same universe but what does that give you mm-hmm. you know. It, it, it's like I, I understand. I think that their thought process was like, "Well, audiences won't go if they don't have to." And as we've learned, that is a problem right now. Sure, right? that is definitely a problem right now. Where they're like, "Well, this doesn't count, so I'm not going to go." It has to count. This isn't going anywhere, right? It has to count. Uh, Godzilla versus Kong, arguably the second most successful cinematic universe, maybe. Right. Yeah. You were building towards yeah. like, well, eventually you're going to see Kong and Godzilla fight. Right. And I want to see that. Right. So like I'll stay after the credits. Right. For this movie because it's it'll it'll give context to Godzilla versus Kong. Right. Right. Which this was a pretty decent size hit. It came out in the height of the pandemic. Right. Considering that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um solid movie. Yeah, I just don't know what the, I just don't know what the point of all of this was. Right. Like where where was any of this going? Why did they feel that they needed it? I understand from the audience perspective, but it's like, but they have to be on board from the beginning before they say, I'll only go see the ones that matter, right? Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean to the dark universe? Exactly. Exactly. You have to make a good movie first. Mm -hmm. That's the first step. Yeah. And it's seemingly the hardest step in universe building is making a good movie. Making one good movie. One single good movie. They always put the cart before the horse. Yeah. Always. Where it's like Iron Man was this like this lightning in a bottle because the first movie was so unique and weird and funny and cool. Yeah. In a way that they were like, oh, that one was really good. Oh, they're doing the Avengers? I know what that is. Right. The, mm-hmm. You're telling me in a couple years. I remember like my dad at the time, who's not a nerd, was like, wow, they're going to put all those movie stars in one movie and I could see Captain America and the Hulk and Iron Man? That's cool. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's like they didn't make the entire movie being like, we got to set up. You know, and I, I, right. I still think, like, origin stories puts you in a bad position because mm-hmm. then every single movie ends up retreading the same kind of territory. Sure. But, like, they did do a good job of just making a movie and then decided to add on the extra bit where mm-hmm. it was like, here's mm-hmm. more, though. Hey, by the way. Here's the tease. Yeah. yeah, like, but to do all of that, to bake all of that into the DNA of your first movie is just misguided. It just, yeah, like, yeah. Is, it will never work. Like, there's, like, if you can finish your, th- keep on with your thing of, like, why would, why is, why did he become the mummy so late into the movie? Right, right. There's no scene in the first Iron Man where Samuel L. Jackson drives Tony Stark to S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. <laughs> no, that's in Iron Man 2. Right, yeah. exactly, <laughs> which is a, a far inferior movie. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is, it's interesting because, like, like I was saying, in terms of the structure of this movie, if that scene at the very end of this movie, literally the last 10 minutes, is your break to act two, where he is a mu- he's a mummy or a monster or whatever it is that he is now, um, and he's, you have the movie where he's like wrapped in bandages, learning what his new life is like, and then having to learn his humanity by becoming a monster, right? Mm-hmm. But like the thing about the thing about that pitch, that character arc is that 
No, he gets his humanity, which causes him to become a monster, mm-hmm. not the other way around. Sure. So it doesn't – that arc doesn't actually fly mm-hmm. based on the movie that they made. Yeah, he we'll, – we'll get to the ending when we get to the – Because, like, imagine – okay, so you, you, you start with him – you know, act two is him, like, figuring out what does it mean to be a mummy, right? Yeah. <laughs> In this modern world, right? <laughs> Yeah. And, and you, and then you have a a some sort of like villainous thing that's happening, like maybe Aminet, yeah, maybe yeah. Aminet, maybe yeah, maybe Aminet, and and you know you do the same sort of plot line, but it's kind of done in reverse, mummy where, versus mummy, yeah, right, dueling mummies. So maybe it's that, maybe it's this organization, yeah, is the villain could be Mister Hyde, right, whatever it is, but like you do it. You have him defeat the thing, and remember at the end of this movie when Russell Crowe was like, he's going to be looking for a cure his entire for his entire existence. That's going to be like his driving focus. Mm. And I'm like, so then like, what if like at the at the end of the movie he finds out like, so somebody is working on something that I think could help. It's this guy, Victor his, Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein, or his name's uh, his name's Henry Jekyll. You know, mm-hmm. like you don't have Jekyll in this movie, but right. he's a, you're like, his name is Henry Jekyll. He might be able to figure out a cure for you or another guy is playing with with death. His name is Victor Frankenstein. He might have then, a right. Then it's then it's what Iron Man did, which right. which is you made an entire movie. And at the very end, you tease what could happen next. Yeah. He gets like a DM or like an email and it's from like like a Lawrence Talbot. Right. And it's like, I think you and I could help each other. Right, we're both cursed. Yeah, I'm a Doctor Acula. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It just it it the, the problem is that yeah, it's the cart before the horse, and sure. it's and it's the Marvel Netflix problem where it's like I'm sorry, I thought I was watching a Daredevil movie or a Daredevil show. Where the hell is Daredevil? Mm-hmm. Oh, there he is. And that's in the last ten minutes. And that's kind of a, uh, a a screenwriting lesson in general that I think I've learned over the years, which is like I think. There's like a thing of a writer of to like morsel out your cool thing, like mm-hmm. Jason was saying, of like, well, I can't just go straight to the cool thing. Right. I have to like You gotta get it all out as soon as possible yeah. and hope you have better ideas. Get like, to the cool thing immediately. It's but, it's like I mean, it's the thing that made Robert Kirkman successful. Like yeah. and, and and the one misstep he made in Invincible, which was like teasing out the the big reveal a bit too long in the comics, sure. which they corrected in the series, but like that's always his whole thing is like Let's just get like do the cool thing as soon yeah. as possible, and that will hopefully lead to cooler things. Yeah. But what's so if, weird is that it seems like that is true with people who have not broken into the industry yet. Sure. But as soon as you have, it seems like Hollywood wants super decompressed storytelling now. Yep. Mm-hmm. That and I don't understand it. It's I, the yeah. It's the producer instinct to be like, well, we we got to save that for right. blank. Like the know? first season right. of Preacher. Right? right, where the entire Ugh. first season of Preacher is a prequel to the first issue of Preacher, uh, okay, and the yeah. finale is the first issue of Preacher. Crazy, and it's just like, why would you do this? Mm-hmm. Why is this your choice? Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. The decompressed yeah. storytelling is. Yeah, I mean, like the 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 thing that's interesting to me about like the sort of modern like universe building shit, right? Is that like 
there's one place that it's worked well in terms of blockbusters, and that's Marvel. Mm-hmm. The MonsterVerse is like kind of comes second, but it's been up and down. Yeah. But like the places that it's worked the best is like The Conjuring, right? Mm, yeah. These for like sure, for sure. very reasonably budgeted standalone movies. I will say, I think, I think that, I think the the Conjuring universe is the second most successful. It's like yeah. it's MCU, Conjuring, then MonsterVerse. Sure. Third. Mm-hmm. Because right. MonsterVerse isn't as profitable yeah. as the Conjuring universe. Yeah, the Conjuring is. money, I mean, they, they, they make money like crazy. And that, to me, if you're building a universe around mm-hmm. these like horror monster movies, right? Like doing the Invisible Man approach yep. that Lee Winnell did, the, the, the general like James Wan kind of approach, who is someone who was going to produce one of these movies for them. Like, right. If they had just approached it as if these were all the same type of movies that they make money hand over fist on mm-hmm. with a little bit of interconnected tissue the way that The Conjuring has, yeah. like, that we're probably like, ends up being a lot yeah. more cool and interesting. Or yeah. like the nun. movie stars into those Absolutely. kinds of movies. Absolutely, right? yeah. Like the star of The Nun is The Nun. The star of Annabelle is Annabelle. Right. Totally. And then at the very end, there'll be like a, a little clip of the, yeah. of the Warrens. Of like, oh, that's right. They did eventually meet Annabelle. Yeah, man. But, you but treat Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster the way you would treat Annabelle. Like yeah. that's yeah. cool. And Absolutely. I completely, yeah. I completely agree creatively. And I think even business wise, that makes the most sense. Yeah. But executives think no. If we throw more money at it, then it'll <sighs> be an international success. Because the pro- the only problem with the with the Conjuring movies is they are domestic success. But I think. For I think that's for two reasons though. I think that's number one because the budget is just mo- they aren't movies that get internationally distributed the same way that these big ones do. Right. But also it's because they have like religious themes that no, tend no. to not play. So it's like yeah, you just do Frankenstein in that style with a slightly bigger budget. Mm-hmm. I think that works and it plays internationally. I think that they're too scared to make that choice though. Ugh. That's the problem. Well, and then it's like kind of the the maximum profit right. of like well we like what what's making the most money right. superhero movies right. So that's right. what we're going yeah. to ape, like, kind of angle for. And their for. thought process is more risk, more reward, right? Less risk, you might, it, you know, it, you know, you might, you might make some money, but it's not right. going to be as much as if you threw two hundred million dollars at something and it brings back a billion and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the problem. It's just because, so funny that they like they already did it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like. They already this company yeah. <laughs> once yeah. made so much money on these exact characters yeah. in a pseudo shared universe. Yeah, what the? Why is it so hard? It yeah, and then and, but then and then they do the Invisible Man, and it's a big success. It's a big yeah. hit. Everybody loves it critically. Everything, and they're like, let's sign this guy on, and we're gonna do we're gonna do a bunch of movies like this. This is what we're gonna do instead. Um, Lee Winnelli's going to do the Wolfman. Right. We're going we're to do Karen Kusama's uh, Dracula, and we're 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 just going to we're going to do the Dark Universe again, but we're going to do it the way we should have. No more than fifty million dollars. Exactly what you're talking about. Right. Modern day, blah blah blah. Boom. Where are any of them? Yeah, right? yeah. They didn't happen because they got scared, yep. despite the fact that the Invisible Man made a shitload of money. And they even had the guy who made the Invisible Man the success it is, and they put him on the Wolfman with Ryan Gosling, and that movie never materializes. And then, and then Ryan Gosling starts developing it with a different director, who it's like, why is this the guy that you're going to put on yeah. this? And now it suddenly starts, uh, you know, going into development hell, and now these things just aren't happening. Yeah, and it's like you guys let it happen again. Like you, you, you put you forced a movie star on Lee Winnell 
and the movie star wanted something different from what Lee Winnell pitched you, the thing that you greenlit, yep. but you're going with the movie star's idea instead of the guy who made you guys so much money yeah. on The Invisible Man. It just doesn't make Movies, sense. These like, franchises can either be star-driven yes. or they can be franchise-driven. If you're the studio yeah. and you're trying to make this shared universe happen, you, you just can't be making decisions for the stars. You can't be turning these into star vehicles yep. because it never works. The, like the, that it, you have to choose one or the other. Either make a star vehicle or make a franchise. You can't do both. What's like, the actress's or a shared name universe. in Invisible Man? Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth right? Moss, yeah. Elizabeth Moss. She's perfect for this because she's a huge star on TV. Yep. So therefore, she doesn't cost that much to put her into a movie, but she has screen presence. Mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling is a movie star. He's not a TV star. He's going to be expensive. Mm-hmm. He's going to have thoughts about creative right. direction because he has a team who demands that, like, they count on him for income, you know? It's just, it's, it's a whole different ball game. But if he had, instead of going to Ryan Gosling, had gone to, like, uh, another like John Hamm. I, I'm just using another Madman example, but you know what I mean. Like, you could have made that movie for the price that you made Invisible Man, and it would have been profitable. Yeah, but yeah, and I like to be fair. It's like I think Ryan Gosling is an interesting choice, and like yeah. they are still like Blumhouse is still de- like developing the the um, Wolfman movie, and like. I, I do think that like Blumhouse and Atomic Monster, whatever their new company is, once they finally merge it, like. Those are the people to handle this because they've done it a lot with mm-hmm. various horror franchises. Like, if you try just simply elevating the type of thing they've done and fusing it with the Universal Monsters thing, which is yeah. a very natural type of fusion, instead of trying to make it superhero, like that, it works. Like, you can play it down a little bit. You can make these things PG 13 if you want them to play broader, but also, like, Deadpool has proven that R rated can play. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's in Joker, same. Like, they're, they're, it just it, it it you're right like they just keep cutting themselves off at the shins anytime they start making progress and they've had so many attempts with like Paul Feig and like yeah, the the right. like Dark Army or whatever Dark, yeah like and and they were like they, it just they they can't stop getting out getting in their own way and I do know that there's like some other yet to be announced like things involving this franchise that are or like these properties that do seem really cool and like seem like cool directions to take it in. But like, yeah, it it just, it seems so backwards that they would have ever tried to approach these, which again, it's the responsive thing of just like, well, superheroes are big right now. So let's try and make these superheroes instead of like, we have these iconic characters. We're not doing anything with, let's do it the way that they should probably be done. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Recurring villains is more interesting than turning the monsters into heroes. Protagonists in some way. Yeah. 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 So, all that being said, uh, Nick is taken in to the uh, prodigium to yeah. meet Jackal. So, this is crazy. The uh, British Museum of Natural History that they, they filmed the prodigium in or sort of base it around, you know, this, this real life place in London. Uh, they, while they were doing research and like location visits, uh, they stumbled upon real life f- uh, specimens in jars embalmed that were first brought back to England by Charles Darwin on the Beagle. Wow. Like frog arms or like, you know, Galapagos lizard heads and stuff that he, you know, brought these specimens back from, from the Galapagos islands that he used to write origin of the species. Wow. So, uh, Kurtzman and crew saw these specimens and he, they're like, that's going in the fucking movie. (laughs) 
and that's how you get um, the cool, like you know, the the the, the creature, of the Black Lagoon arm, the vampire uh, skull, you know, that kind of Easter egg treasure trove. Yeah, and what I will say, something that I appreciate and enjoy about this movie as a whole, that is kind of from the jump, and I guess to Kurtzman and Cruz's credit, uh, the sets in this movie are really big and expansive and impressive Mm -hmm. and practical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in 2017, you know, we already kind of are in green screen city, uh, a movie that you criticize a lot for, for that very, that same thing, guardians of the galaxy volume two. Sure. Um, And so, you know, to the movie's credit, whether it's like the tomb in Iraq, the underground warehouse in London, the prodigium, these are a lot of big, Universal monster sets. That's true. Um, Because that's something they use. Like, oh, if you go to like Dracula's castle or Frankenstein, James Whale, it's a lot of like really big, moody sets. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I do like that aspect of it. Uh, Um, Couldn't find why they went with Henry Jekyll. I just thought they were like, it'd be a cool, like, kind of act to like power up of like, oh, look, I bet you weren't expecting another monster in this mummy movie. Can Look, I, it's, it's Henry Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Can I, can I make a pet pitch about this, though? Sure. I will say this. I think it's a huge mistake doing Dr. Jekyll. Uh-huh. I, think, I get that they like, wanted another action set piece, and so you get the, uh, the, the princess escape mixed with Tom Cruise getting his ass kicked by, by Eddie Hyde mm-hmm. um, sequence uh, in here. Um, but I think that in terms of a leader... Of, I have to keep looking at my notes, the prodigium. In terms of a leader of, a, of the prodigium and the – because first of all, I think that making the prodigium heroic is a mistake because the whole point of the universal monsters is that they're tragically misunderstood figures, mm-hmm. right? So they should be oppressed by the man, not having the man wanting to have them join them. Sure. Right? You don't want to. You don't want to root for the people catching the monsters. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So instead of doing Nick Fury, what they should have done is made this guy a villain, and he is totally against monsters. Right. He hates monsters, and he's like he wants to fight them all. Now you, your your instinct would be like, oh well, it should be Van Helsing. No. <laughs> instead, I think it should be Victor Frankenstein himself Ooh. because he made a monster and it got away from him, and he knows what monsters. Well, are see, my wife. Up. You have you have the you have the uh, the bad guy Avengers. You get the Legion of Doom. You got you got Victor Frankenstein. You got Van Helsing. Yeah. You got. You, I mean, you could even do like Doctor Hyde or yeah, yeah Doctor Hyde, like trying to, you know, because sure. he knows he's a monster. Like. But but I think you could also do. But but I think you do. I I think the Hyde the Hyde thing is the Jekyll thing is just. He himself is a tragic figure. Sure. And so I would prefer like a Victor Frankenstein and a Van Helsing thing. Okay. But also you could have the – I have to keep checking my notes – the prodigium <laughs> um, uh, uh, like originate or, or founded by Van Helsing but like a previous generation Van sure, Helsing. Sure, And now it's run by Victor Frankenstein in modern day. But then, like, when you get around to doing Dracula, maybe there's, like, a Van Helsing, like, you know, in, ancestor uh, or whatever. In uh, Hotel Transylvania 3. Yes. The one with the cruise. Yes, the cruise ship one. Catherine Hahn plays a Van Helsing. Right. Who's like, my great-grandfather told me monsters were, weren't shit. Yeah. And mm. I'm, I'm going to kill them till my dying day. Yeah, you just do that. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> Catherine Hahn play live action Van Helsing. Yeah, there you go. Uh, um, so yeah. Russell Crowe based his character, like the split Jekyll Hyde. He's, he, he pictured Henry Jekyll being like a Stephen Fry kind of dude. Mm. Okay. And Eddie Hyde being like Ray Winstone. I, I like Russell Crowe's performance in this. Yeah. I actually do. And I, I, including Eddie Hyde. I actually think it's fun. Okay. My my issue my issue is not his performance. My issue is that they re- road like, like rage him out to make it look like you're going to get this big like CGI creation, and then it's right. it's not. It's just him with some veins on his face. Um, and so like I wish if they were going to do that, if they were just going to let it live, lean into Russell Crowe's performance instead of creating like a creature or a thing, a monster. Uh huh. Then lean into it and just like because they did this on that Jekyll show with um, James Nesbitt oh. playing playing That's right. Jekyll and Hyde for the BBC. Yeah, and and they do this thing where they put lifts in his shoes and they uh, pulled back his hairline when he's Hyde, but when he's Jekyll, they just let his hair loose and he loses the lifts and he's a, and he just he's such a good actor that you just buy that these are two completely right. different people. And I think Russell Crowe would have been capable of something as simple as that if they had gone for it, but instead they do this weird CGI again a Morbius face, mm. right? Thing. Yeah. And, and it's somewhere just in between work. what you're talking about, which is kind of relying on your actor versus the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen yes. version right. of where he literally hulks out. Right. And he's like flesh-colored Hulk. Right. Yeah, um, they try to like split the difference between the two mm-hmm. things, and it doesn't really work. There was a, a featurette on the Blu-ray on you know highlighting Russell Crowe's performance. He like he read right. the book. He went back and read Robert Louis Stevenson's book. Bless his Bless heart. His heart. <laughs> <laughs> and they were really hyping up on in interviews, like you know promotional interviews, and on the set of like if you buy a ticket to this movie, you are going to see Russell Crowe. And Tom Cruise fight. They were really banking on that being like a thing moviegoers had been like hankering for. And like, you know, like the thing on movie sets where they're like, you know, me and Russell have been, you know, mates for a long time. Right. And this movie, you're finally going to see a square off and the crew. It's like, like, yeah, Pacino and De Niro and Heat where they're like, yeah, we've all been needing Crow and Cruise to go at it. These guys go at it. I mean, that's the other thing, too, is like because it happens in the Prodigium headquarters in his gigantic fucking office. Yeah. um, That is like the bridge, the side bigger than the bridge of the Enterprise. Um, (laughs) I, I, I wish like it would have been like more interesting or more fun to have them like literally get into like a bar fight or something. Mm. Like they meet at a pub and he hides out. And oh, and, I like hides out. That's and then he has to like, and then like Tom Cruise has to like fight Hyde, but also stop Hyde from killing the other people in the pub, right? Because yeah. he's Hyde, and that's what he does. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, because you, you, there's no point in this movie, which is a big problem. There's no point in this movie where there is multiple things happening in a scene. Mm. Mm. I, I was gonna. I thought you were going to say part of their thesis of like what what does it look like when when Amonet is let loose in London? Yeah. Uh, their big concept was like, we really want to take advantage of this isn't set in the 30s or the 40s. This is what would happen if a monster were just dropped into modern day London. Right. And I don't think if like a, like a, a bar fight between Eddie Hyde and Tom Cruise, that's kind of having more fun with the in the game of like these Victorian Gothic era monsters are now right. in. Right. David Cameron era. Right. London, I guess. Yeah. 2017. Yeah. Pre-Brexit. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Ooh, a Brexit Dracula. What would that be like? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I will say, I will say, uh, in terms of that, uh-huh. they don't play that up at all, except I really do like the Sandstorm in London. I think that is pre- great. Yeah. That is pretty cool. Yeah, it's fun. It's pretty cool. I think if they didn't do the face... Right, I think the I think the face sinks it. I yep. think that's that's Gild in the Lily. Yeah, once sure. once you go once you go the like Galactus or Parallax route, yeah. you're like, yeah. oh, I can't. Um, so note on so Sophia Batella was hired uh, before being an actor. She was a dancer. She like toured with Madonna and was like a backup dancer for a lot of artists and stuff. Interesting. And so she has this like a lot of the. Uh, the, the the stuff that you liked about Princess Aminette, like spider crawling. Yeah, they would hire like a contortionist. Yeah. To do it for real, and then Botella was able to recreate it to the best of her ability in like close-ups, huh. oh. and so like yeah, like a really getting like okay, a dancer, a strong physical performer, yeah, n- doesn't need a lot of dialogue, can say a lot with her body the way she's walking, right? So like, and a lot of the London stuff, it's her like you know moving her hand and stuff, yeah, and um, the scene where she's like chained up with her arms behind her mm-hmm. was like two days of filming for her, Oof. and she was like. She was like in an energized way. Was like it was. I was in, in pain. Uh, I, I had to. It, I was really hot because I was wearing what? all that makeup, mummy shit. But I had to act cold. Ugh. So so that's really her. Like with her arms behind her, yeah. chained up and shit. stuff. Wow. Um, man. Um, yeah. Another example of tone that we were talking about. Yeah. Like is she gets a really good laugh line, but Kurtzman doesn't know how to direct it. I th- yeah, I think Jason knows what I'm talking about. So what is it? There's a part where uh, she's like, "Hey, Tom, you know, you're my buddy. You're my. You're going to be set." But like, like you killed your dad, and he's like, "No, like I, I was so heartbroken. Like he betrayed me, and I love my dad, but I had to take my power. Like you killed the baby too." <laughs> and her line is like, "There were different times." <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, but then we get like a fade out. Yeah. And like I think like a, a director with more because I think a director's job is kind of point of view, yeah, and like taste. So I think like another director would have understood how to like cut that back and forth and really yeah, get you to be can, a like, beat. Like oh, man, that's kind of funny, or yeah. like I'm kinda, yeah. that's that was fucked up. Yeah, yeah, and it's it is like there are so many moments in this movie that feel like if it were just edited slightly different, you know, like the, yeah. the, there are moments that really could have sung. It still wouldn't have been an amazing movie, but like. Sure. You know, it just yeah. yeah, it's it it does it's that kind of thing where a more experienced director will kind of be in the edit and realize what the movie is that they have and edit help edit toward that. You know, uh, Cruz also brought in a longtime editor of his to edit yeah, the movie, Paul Hirsch, Paul uh, or Paul is it Paul Hirsch? Yeah, um, Paul Hirsch, Gina Hirsch, and uh, yeah. Andrew Stephen Monsheen. Mm. Yes, yeah, I think that's uh, one of those was his. Fellas. Um, so the the fight, the Eddie Hyde fight that we yeah. were talking about is they find the uh, like a ruby. Yeah. And you, you, the ruby. The size of a tangerine. The size of a tangerine. <laughs> and you need the ruby needs to be on the knife. Right. For the, the, the sacrifice to work. Right. And so Jekyll's idea is like, we'll kill you and then have set possess you. And then imprison you mm-hmm. as set, so that way set is off the table. Yeah. And Tom Cruise is like, "Well, I'm a selfish character, so that doesn't vibe with me." <laughs> I hate to break it to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I kind of like the like they kind of play with him being like a himbo. 
where he like steals the, the Jekyll yeah. juice. Yeah. Being like they almost go there a few times. Yeah. He just doesn't like, work as that. Like Tom Cruise just doesn't he can't play that well. I don't know. I think in American Made he gets pretty close to playing that. I think this movie's just not written toward that. Like right, this like, version of it. Like there's even flashes in this movie of him yeah. kind of getting going there a little bit, but like it doesn't really like like the moment I don't know, I have this like line reading in my head, but like the part where they're like about to kill him uh-huh. and then Jenny's like just seeing it happen and he's like Jenny <laughs> fucking get out of here what are you doing where yeah. they let him like be you know let loose yeah right. but then there's so many moments where he just has to be like kind of Tom Cruise like, yeah I think he on. could get there it's just this is this part is written so like Nathan Drakey that like yeah. it doesn't let you do it like if it yeah. were more Rick O'Connell or even if it were more Indiana Jones, like you'd be like, yeah, this this can work. But when it since it's like this self serious kind of, you know, I don't know, yeah. I don't know. So, um, yeah, I I want like the the man. So the, the fight so, okay, happens. Okay, so so I did. What are your guys' thoughts uh-huh. on Jack Jekyll's Hyde serum <laughs> and how he injects it Ugh. into his hand? Yeah, with because the one it, glove. Yeah, because I have I have mixed feelings about it. Because on the one side, I'm like, that's fucking dumb. But on the other <laughs> side, I'm like, well, I've never seen it before. <laughs> <laughs> well, is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, there's a lot of things I've never seen before that <laughs> yeah. probably are, there's a reason for it. Yeah. I'm unclear as to how often he has to take the juice. It appears yeah. every 40 minutes. Yeah, anytime, right? Anytime he's having an important conversation with someone... That's he, another thing. Is it timed? Is it like how you, you know, as a diabetic has to uh, be like, oh, well, I have to do this every six hours? Or is it like an inhaler where anytime I get worked up, yeah. it could happen at any time? Yeah, I time. think it's like anytime he starts like sort of thinking and speaking about like technical jargon, then it kind of flares up <laughs> and he has to... Exposition. Yeah, ex- yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, no. Yeah. Anytime he's like giving someone information, he has right. to. Yeah. Hi, he's just like, I'm so fucking bored. Oh, damn it. <laughs> so. Um, I do want to. I want to just like talk about. Sure. Aminette in general. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who. Okay. I obviously like Emotep has a, like a lot more going on because they yeah. get to focus on him more and things like that. But I genuinely feel. Like, she is a really fucking cool mummy character. Yeah. And I love that, like, she controls death. So she has, like, these little zombie goons. Mm-hmm. Like, it's cool. Like, yeah. I, I actually think it's really cool. Whereas, like, with Emotep, it's like, well, he's a mummy, so he has other mummies. And they're like his. They're they were his. They were his. Uh, his guys back in the day, and they're his guys again. Like, but she's making new guys. Yeah. She's like sucking. Yeah. She's making a zombie army. Right. Because she controls the yeah. dead. Yeah. And so it's it's like I really like the way that her power set is used in this. Yeah. Yeah. Movie. I think it's cool. No, I, I wish there was more of it. There's so, like there's there's a there's so many things that are like oh it's like cool it's like well conceived as like as its own thing yeah you know if if there were just I don't know smoother way so of, absolutely let's get in the weeds so yeah. so J- Jason you saw Mummy fairly recently the first Mummy the yeah, first yeah, Mummy yeah um or the sure mummy. yeah yeah, yeah. the, the Brendan Fraser Mummy movie because <laughs> yeah. like on going into my memories I don't it doesn't feel like Aminet and Imhotep have that big of a difference in terms of screen time? But, I don't think so. Yeah, Emotep yeah, shows up fairly selectively. But he has more dialogue. I feel yeah. like, yeah, I feel like 
Yeah, I think that might be it. Is uh, you know, Imhotep has a Benny. Mm-hmm. He has those scenes where he's like talking to the people before he kills them. Right. That would have been a better use of Jake Johnson. Ooh, yeah. If he was Aminette Stooge instead right. of and he, he's dead, and, he's and dead. she brings him back. Hey, buddy. And now he's that, and then he's yeah. like, Lisa. It's yeah. not like we're giving you a choice here, right? Like right, that kind right. of vibe. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. way more interesting. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, and like Sophia Batella, like we we love her. You know, I loved her in Star Trek Beyond. She's great in Atomic Blonde. Yeah, she's solid in Kingsman. Mm-hmm. But, she's fun. She's a really really fun actress. Yeah, uh, climax. Insane. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. they don't play with her. She should do like creepy, cool mummy dancing stuff. Mm. I I agree. I I kind of like when this movie was coming out. Based on her, I just assumed they were like that was why they cast her was yeah. because like obviously she looks vaguely like you know she could fit Middle Eastern as casting, but like also just like yeah she is like a very physical actress who could do a lot of interesting yeah. stuff like that. Weird that they don't utilize that more. I think she's like from Algiers. Okay, mm. I think she's Algerian. Interesting. So it's like you're you, so somewhat like North African, right? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think yeah, and I guess this, this could go back to the Tom Cruise of it all. But like slowly, Nick Morton got more and more fun stuff yeah. to do, and Princess Aminette just became kind of like a rote villain, right? Um, right. With a cool look. It's really too bad because yeah, she has a cool look. She's got a cool vibe. She's got cool powers. Yeah. There's so much cool shit you could have done with her. I think she passes the Halloween costume test. Like, yeah. I think I, if I saw, like a, like, a girl, like, on the street or someone, like, with the Egyptian lettering all written on her, I'm like, yeah. oh, you're Princess Aminette. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. You might forget her name by that point. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, can yeah. We as a, can we do group costume Dark Universe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we just dress up in suits and yeah, stand yeah, together that, on that chairs. Yeah. I'm Dr. And that, and, that, and that sucks, too, because, like, she's dead at the end of this. Yeah. She's in the fucking Dark Universe photo. Yeah. Yep. So weird. It's so well, weird. The, the sequel apparently was they had planned to bring her back for the sequel to this that never happened. Really? Yeah. Well, because wow. uh, they have that um, the final shot of her sarcophagus. And what they do is they're just like stuff, you know, just fill in the sarcophagus with, with mercury. Right. So I'm like, okay, there's nothing. I'm not, I'm not seeing anything that could stop, like, you know, if, if like, you know, Odo from the Superman movies, like, <laughs> bro- broke yeah. Omnet off of that of the sarcophagus. If you did get her out of the mercury, you could just, like, cast a spell. Or, and... or also if, like, uh, if, if Nick, now the, now the, the, the mummy. manifestation of Set. <gasps> Raises her from the Brett dead because she he needs information Ooh, a, a, from her. A Thor Dark World situation. Exactly. You must be truly yeah. desperate to come yeah. to me for help. Because here's, <laughs> here's what I want to happen, mm-hmm. and you can't because for multiple reasons. One, Tom Cruise is way too old for this. I mean, it's never stopped him before. But <laughs> I want a genuine love story between Nick and Princess Aminet. Yeah, where she makes the choice of like, oh, I don't, I don't want you possessed by Seth because I love you. Wow, interesting. Okay. And if you're possessed by Set, I don't want to be with Set. I want to be with you. I only want to be with you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, <laughs> yeah. I think there's, there's, like, I don't know. There's something well, so, romantic about two monsters falling for each other. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, Kurtzman, during that conversation, they, one, one, like, story meeting that, story revelation that he and Cruz had was the idea of Jenny representing the angel hmm. on Nick Morton's shoulder yeah. and Aminette being the devil. One saying, like, I know you're a good man in there somewhere. And Aminette being like, nah, 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 nah. You know, fucking, yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's too bad that's not really in the movie. Again, yeah. yeah. And, and, also, and also Jenny kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like 
they it's a, it's a, it's a shame that the whole movie hinges on Jenny being the one thing that Nick cares about Ugh. and will be selfless towards and if they had like a smidgen of that of that Rachel Vice Brendan Fraser chemistry oh mm-hmm. okay yeah oh, fuck all right <laughs> get Jenny out of the movie okay dumper you have Rumor fast. Amanet's plan is the is is exactly what it is before. She has to like stab a guy to like have set possess him for the deal, etc., etc. She, in order to save him, in order to save Nick, she stabs another guy. Right, gets possessed by Set. Set immediately is like. Yeah, I was always going to kill you. Like, I don't need a queen. Yeah. I'm fucking set. I'm a god. Fuck off. I'm literally set. Go, go, goes to life. kill her, and then somehow, in a in a way that we make sense in the in the plot earlier, you set up the fact that like Tom, the Tom Cruise is like, oh no, but if I kill myself, I will get the powers of set, and then you can fuck off. Ah. And so he kills himself to save Aminette. Wow. And then there we go. That's cool. And that's, that's like fun. the little romance that they have together. I like that. Yeah. 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 It's I, just it, Jenny is so boring. There's just nothing interesting about yeah. her, unfortunately. Uh, I can't stop thinking about doing like a sitcom called Set for Life. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's the post credit scene. <laughs> that's very fun. <laughs> uh, um, the original WandaVision. <laughs> yeah, because like, because Jason, how would you describe Jenny? As a character, you know, I like truly fucking. I don't know, like uh, uh, a woman, like yeah. <laughs> not 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 to say that she's representative of a woman, but that's like her only no, defining yeah, trait she's, is she's like a woman. She's, she's the woman in the movie. Yeah, and it, it, there's like she's not greedy. She's not nerdy. She's not. Like, and I think part of that comes from Cruz's characterization that they didn't quite get to a point where his character is super well defined, and so then since she, by necessity, is a character sort of designed to bounce off him. Then you kind of her character is even more nothing than his because it's only created to contrast him. You're a good man, like I'm, you know. Yeah, you, like she's there to like find the good in him, and you're kind of like, well, I'm not really seeing that much good or bad. Yeah, there's no situation where you see it. And, I'm astonished you can find anything in uh, him. And to be perfectly honest, if you're going to do this uh, fucking Netflix Marvel uh, version of this movie. Sure. Then back it up even further, so we introduce him in like the scene where he seduces her, and you're like, okay, this guy's like a like a like a cool like suave guy. He got to, he slept with this girl, whatever. The and then the wakes up the next morning, finds the map, and fucking bails, and goes to Jake. He's like, I got a map. We're gonna fucking right. go. We gotta. I, yeah. And you're like, oh, he's a scumbag. Like, show yep. that. Yep. Don't just tell us that he did this. Especially right. with like the half-hearted joking about like he lasted 15 seconds or whatever. This and one of the big problems with this yeah. movie is it treat it's this is like right at the end of the era where Tom Cruise is still insisting that he's young. Yes. And like I think that is one of the most flawed opinions in this movie or one of the most flawed approaches is like if Tom Cruise was being approached as kind of an older burnout. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's in his 50s and the dude he just can't get his life together no matter what as evidenced by what happens with Jenny and like yeah. all this stuff. Like that immediately becomes a much more interesting character than this yeah. like weird uncanny valley 30 something year old. I, yeah, I will yeah. say I think that I think this is the last time that Tom Cruise looks 49 yeah. in a movie. 
Yeah. I think starting with Fallout, he looks like he's in his 50s. That carries on through Top Gun. And then by the time you get to the new Mission Impossible, which is only mm. a couple years later, he now looks like yeah. a 60-year-old man. Well, mm. the thing is, he he looks 49 in this movie. They yeah. treat him like he's 35. And that's the Or problem. younger. That like, is the problem. That is 100% the problem. The dialogue, you could swap him out for like Channing Tatum, Chris and Pine. the dialogue would remain the you same. You said Chris you had Pine. a pitch for that, that, that you're a young man thing. Oh, oh, or, or kind of a um, uh, uh, my reasoning or whatever uh-huh. is yeah. like. Well, maybe if if Hyde was like ancient, oh, then maybe from his perspective, sure. Or, or even, or well, even you if, can even turn it into a joke, right? Where he's like younger man than me, and he's like, I aren't, are we not the same age? The I'm same like age, fifty, right? and him being like, well, no, but I, I've been I'm 119. For, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah where he was like, he was like, oh yeah, like so I was a doctor in the 1800s. Like, I made Hyde. Now I'm immortal. It's a yeah, whole, yeah, thing. Yeah. It's whole thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, okay. Look, here, here's me founding <laughs> the like, in 1888. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like, are you older than me? And he's like, wait, are you younger than are you me? Younger than me? Yeah. And he's like, oh yeah. I sorry, I moisturize every day. Like you know, <laughs> just something like, yeah. like putting a hat on yeah, it. Like, anything. Yeah. Of like, I'm actually 55. And oh, yeah, weird. Uh, but I genuinely really thought you were younger than him as like 48, 49. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I do think that like since COVID. The theater shut down, and it was like the painting. In, no, <laughs> yeah, the, the painting. The audience experience. Closet. <laughs> that's a dark, losing power. That's his dark secret. <laughs> he, every, and, and he's aged twenty years in the past yeah. five. That's why he needs um, us to go to continue to thrill and chill at his. Yeah, he, yeah. he had his. It, it was just like he, the movie theater needed a new Tom Cruise picture every year in order <laughs> yes. to keep him young. <laughs> that's why he's so. It's why the. That's why the theaters have to had to open again. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, no, you guys don't. Have yeah, I'm falling apart. Look, just we, we just sell Mission Impossible to Paramount. It doesn't count if it's at home. It doesn't count on streaming. They have to be in the church, in the theater. It all makes sense. I was cursed in the '90s by by a Scientology god. And it said the witch said it has to be in the theaters, or I lose ten years of my youth. The god of movies must bring his audience. To a Tom Cruise movie, or I will die. Oh my god, that's what they should have made the Dark Universe about. Um, <laughs> so, like, yeah, I mean, we've kind of already been talking around because we, you know, we went through the the London chase, yeah, some cool stuff uh, in there, and then, and then uh, uh, I, I almost called him Nick, Jake, Jake Johnson. Uh, <laughs> uh, he he uh, leads them to the to the oh catacombs. Kind of a and... cool stunt when uh, uh, the bus. Oh yeah, and he goes through the bus. It is cool, but it would have been cooler by a director who knew what they were doing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, everything in this movie yeah. could have. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I I genuinely do not understand why, and maybe it was just to play nice with Universal. I don't understand why Tom Cruise didn't just bring in Doug Liman or yeah. or or Joe Kaczynski, any of the people that right. he like works I, with. I literally think it's because Kurtzman was an executive producer on the movie. I think so too. So there's just there was no choice. And he's like, also he's like the captain of the ship for so many failed franchises. Like he is. when they did that whole weird like Transformers Hasbro writers right. room yeah, yeah, that yeah. like everyone was involved in. Right. Kurtzman had a hand in that. He's like he, he helped launch the Star Trek the Star stuff Trek on thing Paramount. That people um, hate and like yeah. and the only things he's directed since this movie are um, an episode of Star Trek Discovery mm. and um, another TV episode. That I can't recall. 
It's, um, studios are addicted to handing him and Akiva Goldsman the keys to to kingdoms. Like right. they just, yeah, they're both on Star Trek right. together. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But in both of them, it's like Akiva Goldsman had like the Titans thing, and then Kurtzman had the Transformers. That like, right. but they must just be so good in a room. Yeah. I like. I don't understand how you can I, have this many like completely crashed yeah. attempts. I mean, I think that there's there is. I think with both of them, I think they're just studio guys. They know how yeah. to work in that system. Right. Whether they make a bad movie or a good movie, it doesn't matter. They succeeded in what the studio wanted, and it's the studio's fault. And I think yeah. the studio can recognize that. Right. Or they know how to spin it so that the studio recognizes that. Um, because you look over both of their filmographies, and it's like, if anyone else had written Batman and Robin, they would have never worked again. But somehow Akiva Goldsman turned that into an Oscar a few years later right. with a beautiful mind. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. But that's the thing is it's like, yeah, let, let Akiva Goldsman do that. <laughs> like, right, why, right. why does it have to be a franchise? So, uh, just because, like, the only story thing we haven't talked about yeah. is, like, they're in the catacombs. Aminet drags Jenny down right. and drowns her to be, like, take her off the board. Yeah. And then He's like, uh, now you don't have anything to live for, you little yeah. bitch. So Tom, <laughs> so, so Tom Cruise is about to break the dagger. Yeah, we do get a, like a little character moment where he like steals. It, he did the fucking Iron Man Thanos move before Iron Man did, which yeah. this being an Iron Man movie, yeah. I was like, holy fucking shit! When that happened, we were watching. I didn't want to say anything because oh, okay. you were in the room with me yeah, yeah, yeah. when it happened. But I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's literally the Iron Gauntlet move in Endgame. Like, he does the exact same thing, but he did it yep. two years before Endgame. Hey. So he, he he runs the gamut from the first Iron Man to the end of Endgame in all one, in one in movie. One movie. <laughs> yep. Beautiful. He, uh, it's crazy. And she's like, thief, because he's a thief. And yeah. There's like, you know, I, I could see Tom Cruise and Kurtzman having their story meeting being like, right. we're geniuses. Yeah. I felt a lot of empathy for these guys because like they're saying all the things that you're supposed to say, which is like story is king. Yeah. It all goes back to character. Yeah. And so seeing it not come to the screen. <laughs> right. it's like a, Seeing it be like the least character forward <laughs> yeah, movie you've yeah. ever right. seen in your life. Right. Um, so then, you know, Nick has the opportunity to break the, the, the jewel. Yeah. But then Aminette's like, you can have control over death. And she's like, well, I can bring Jenny back and Jenny's the best. Right. <laughs> and so, so, so the, the, so the idea, right, is that because she didn't do the stabbing, he stabs himself. He stabs himself. So, so as a result, now he has full control of all of Seth's powers. So I think it's whoever does the stabbing, whoever has the knife and does the. Stabbing. I was so confused by it. Like I was just like, <laughs> we, as all of it was happening, like I don't know who, I don't know wh- where I w- I'm supposed to want the stabbing to well, happen. So, so if <laughs> like, she has the knife and does the stabbing, then it's a sacrifice to Set, and Set would possess his body fully. And so Nick just wouldn't be in there anymore. Yeah. It would just be set walking around in Nick's body. Like, but because Nick did it, now he is controlling set. So, right? so, so set possesses him, fully possesses him. Yeah. Right? Because there's a moment where he, he, Tom Cruise's body approaches Aminette and says, like, something in Egyptian. Uh-huh. Like, I'm set. And I'm going to be almost set. Quiet on set. Quiet on set. <laughs> uh, and, and Aminette's like, whoa. Hell yeah, you're you know you're you're set, and then, <laughs> but then he he sees over Aminette's shoulder Jenny's body lying and dead in that puddle, right? And then the eyes flicker back into Tom Cruise's eyes, where he's like, "No, Jenny," 
and uh, Aminette's like, focus, dude, like grabs his face. And it's like, no, focus up. And so then Nick is battling with Set inside of him oh. and his love for Jenny and his wanting his want <laughs> to protect Jenny. The the yeah, the very the very thing that we've seen in every ounce of this yeah, movie. Of they're just top, so in top love. to the bottom. Yeah, so absolutely. His, his love for, for Jenny. Yeah, their oh. romance is a big part of this movie and that <laughs> I absolutely believe. And then he's able to control Set and keep that darkness at bay long enough for him to defeat Aminet and then give put Jenny back to life. But so that's what he's struggling with when he's like, no, get back. And the reason Russell Quo's like, I don't know, man, Jenny, he can go either way is that's the struggle is like, can he keep, can he keep set at bay and under mm. control? <clears throat> I see. So then he's, <laughs> please. So then he's just Mr. Hyde. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. 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 And it's like the movie doesn't really know, like, because his back is to Jenny, that whole final scene. Right. He's like, hey, and he has like a raspy voice. But you can kind of see his like profile. Yeah. And he doesn't look too jacked up. No. <laughs> so is it, like, is, it a do- is, is it a Doctor Doom situation? Is he hiding the eyes? Yeah. Is that what's... What? Yeah. It's a little unclear. Mm-hmm. And then he wraps himself in bandages. Like so Dark Man. There must be something which I thought about a lot. Because when oh, we were okay. talking about directors, I was like... Oh, Rami. Sam oh, Rami yeah. would have directed the shit out of yeah. this. Absolutely. Um, you direct the shit out of anything. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> if they just let him. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is a dark man thing, and so you're like, oh, is he like fucked up? But, but yeah, like if if again, it's like, well, there you go, right? So like, if you do the if you do that at the beginning of Act One, and then it's like he's struggling with his inner set, yeah, in the movie until he like set maybe like possesses someone else, and then he has to like. Do something, blah blah blah, and then gets the powers of Set, but defeats Set, and like, or becomes the new god of death mm, right. through some ritual at the end of this. Right. But he is a mummy the whole movie, right? Or or three two thirds of the movie. That's I just the thing that's like so bizarre to me is like okay, if he's going to have this like evil spirit that's inside of him that sometimes takes control, that's just a double note of your other character, yep. Mister Hyde. Yeah, and then if he's going to wrap himself in fucking bandages all the time, that's just a double note of the Invisible Man. Like, whoa, what right, is yeah. wrong? Like, but, what? but he's a mummy. <laughs> I, I get it. It's just like, uh, it's but, the problem with making the the, yeah. the monsters the protagonists. It's like you're mm-hmm. just turning this thing into a full double note. But I like, guess I guess with the Invisible Man, I mean, you would have to do the bandages. I know that's the but iconic, that is the look iconic thing. For him. Yeah, but you could like. You know, maybe he would just like powder himself or something. Because it was, it was going to be Johnny Depp, so he would have made some fucking weird decision. Like a balaclava. Yeah, or like a scarf. Yeah, but it would just be <laughs> a bunch of scarves. I do have a bunch of scarves. <laughs> I don't know. I do feel like it would get confusing, though, just from the simple fact of like, like if you, you know, if they rebooted the Avengers and like Captain America was wearing an Iron Man suit right. and then Iron Man just like had a little watch or whatever, like so, then yeah. you would just be like, well, that's fucking to, weird. To go yeah. off on a tangent, and I swear this is connected. Yeah. So. On the Star Wars side of things, uh-huh. um, time of recording, Ahsoka is in the process of coming out. Yeah, sure, I have sure. not seen all of Ahsoka. Okay. I haven't seen any. But um, there is a part in Ahsoka. So the three leads in Ahsoka are Ahsoka Tano, uh, Sabine Wren, uh-huh. and Hera Syndulla. Yeah. And fucking David Filoni. Exactly. So this is <laughs> written by Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni. Kind of directed by Dave Filoni, and this yeah. is all presumably leading to some kind of mega event. Sure. Maybe even a movie in theaters. Why not? That is going to bring in 
uh, everyday Filoni character ever. Mando. Yes. <laughs> and, and so then, and I've, I've never, I've never clocked this before, but I was like, because I, I started catching it during Ahsoka because it would be Ahsoka having lines with Hera, having lines with Sabine, and I'm like, you know, these are all kind of the same character, mm-hmm. where it's kind of stern, stoic badasses. That are two thousands hero woman that are every once and and then I was like oh wait that's kind of Bo Katan yeah and that's all and then I was like this is all leading to a room where they're all going to be around a room together <laughs> yeah talking about how they're going to take down Thrawn yeah and like oh, no. the the magic of the Avengers is you have like Thor being like oh I have to do this thing and yeah it's contrast like, you're a fucking dork and Steve and Steve Rogers being like hey don't call people dorks yeah and. And then uh, Bruce Banner would be like, I'm going to fucking kill myself. And you're yeah. like, this yeah. is everyone it's in this. It's the most basic storytelling principle, but which is contrast. It's yeah. Because, yeah. It's, it's because, you know, I, I, I hate to invoke his name. However, yeah. Joss Whedon was very good at writing ensembles yeah. and cr- turning all of them into very specific individual characters. Right. Well, and I mean, and also, and also the source material. Well, yes, right. yes, but he was able to highlight those. Like, things. okay, yeah. what makes did, Thor Thor? What makes Cap Cap? Yeah, he, yeah. Did, yeah. he did. You know, modernize whatever. Anyway, you don't have to give him any credit. And but, so, like, but, but but like that—that that is the key—is that they brought in somebody who was very good at balancing ensembles. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, what reason? Yeah. Go back to 2017. Mm-hmm. Like, moviegoers, they were like, "Well, I want to see Thor and Captain America and the Hulk and Iron Man in right. a room together." But it's like, what's what would Nick Morton as the Mummy? Because, like you said, he just has bandages, like Invisible Man. Yeah. <laughs> he he he's just he he's has a, a he's a dual identity like Doctor Jekyll. Like Doctor Jekyll. What would Frankenstein like? What what are what are we excited about? Like, what is this? This is supposed to be the Iron Man of of the of the Dark Universe. Right. Like, yeah. what are we building towards? Is this why the Mummy was the worst choice for this? Yeah. Yep. It, it's so much more interesting if you like. I if I pitch that Frankenstein one right. If this ends with the super soldier that Victor Frankenstein created for the military, right. going rogue <laughs> and going out there to like explore the world yeah. play with butterflies or whatever yeah where it's like where it's like you're you basically reach that point in the frankenstein novel where he like goes out right, right? that's an interesting way to start because it's like yeah i am curious what this guy's gonna do especially if like the whole thing with him is like he was a monster built for war and he's like a pacifist right yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. He, like he enjoys the beauty of the world mm-hmm. or whatever that is an interesting character yeah. Well, and this is always this is always the thing that like truly people keep learning the lesson over and over is like if you if there is a character that has survived decades, centuries of storytelling and somehow still managed to be compelling, don't try and find the way to reinvent it. Mm-hmm. Go back to the fucking source and be like, what makes this thing work? What made this Bram Stoker's Dracula work mm-hmm. in a way that made it last centuries what made mary shelley's frankenstein work in a way that made it last like that made it made people constantly want to reinvent it right find that thing and heighten it bring it up Mm -hmm. like make that be the thing you build your modern reinvention around instead of trying to be like okay so it's about mummies (laughs) so what we should do is find a spy and like what (laughs) the fuck so like that's interesting though because like and maybe we can talk about this in our between episode but like yeah dracula right frankenstein there's a reason these care, you know, Dracula, you have the sex aspect. Yeah. You have the immortality. You mm-hmm. have, like, right. the addiction nature, the immigrant stuff. Yeah. With Frankenstein, you have the fear of death, uh, man's hubris. Yep. Right. What, what, what is it about the mummy? Great question. That's, right. I wish I knew enough. That, <laughs> and, and that is my issue 
with The Mummy as an entire franchise yep. has been my problem since day one of us doing this miniseries <laughs> is that there is nothing that makes The Mummy special. What makes well, the, the Mummy special in 1999 is Rick O'Connell yep. and Edie. It makes the not-Mummy character. Yeah, it's yeah. a yeah. great two-hander, which yeah. is, again, why it's like you don't fucking build it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, there is nothing that makes The Mummy special. And in fact, I would go so far as to say there is no The Mummy. There right. are mummies, plural. Mm-hmm. But there is no The Mummy. Yeah. And the problem is calling... like. Trying to base all of this stuff off of this character, it doesn't. It just doesn't work because yeah. there is nothing special about right. this guy. If anything, the decision should have been that like the mummy would be the villain that they all come together to defeat. Right. If yeah. you're going to do that, you like, do the mummy is the last thing. Instead yeah, of Dracula in the Avengers, it's Ooh, the mummy. They're yeah. like, who, what's a, who's like a blank slate and villain? Also, not for nothing, right. but like yeah. Princess Amonet being trying to be the ruler of death. That's. A perfect villain for yeah. a monster team up. Yeah, it's like, of hey, course. look, this Princess Aminette is trying to like become the god of death. Yeah, she's building an army like Loki with right. the, with the with the with and, the aliens. And then there's the added the element of like she can seduce the monster, the good guy monsters, if that's what you're doing, right. seduce them to the dark side to be like these people don't like you. Sure. You can't go to the store. Like, you can't fucking just yeah. act like a normal person. Your life will never be normal. But with me in charge... We'll be gods. We'll be gods. This will be a whole dark universe. A dark universe. Gods don't choose. <laughs> I can't... I, I literally just can't believe that we just solved the dark universe. <laughs> we, so, we did it, guys. We solved yeah, the dark universe on right. this so podcast. You have Henry Jekyll being like, so I had to put a team together. I have Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. This psychopath, invisible man that like killed like three people at a hotel. Right. Yeah. Dracula, Vlad the Impaler. Right. But it's like we have to like find a reason to or maybe even kind of like Amanda Waller, like Task Force sure. Ask. Like, I have your heart in a box. Right. And like or like, you know, Dracula, I have your fucking tomb. Yeah. I have your dirt or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You have to help me. I have your garlic. Wait a minute. No, you don't like garlic. <laughs> oh, fuck. I fucked it up. Damn it, I have no control over Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> Um, just yeah. a really incompetent Amanda Waller, like <laughs> a constantly up what the like things they Amanda like Waller. and what they hate. Yeah. What's really funny about that, though, is that um, in the did you, I, I don't remember if you finished watching it or if you watched it at all, but the Stephen Moffat Dracula. I did finish watching. That's it, yeah. literally what the third episode is. Yeah, for sure. The third episode is an Amanda Waller character. Uh, 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 it's uh, the nun. It's the reincarnation of the nun, right? Yeah, the nun who I think. They just decided not to do Van Helsing, or she wasn't. I think Van she Helsing. was ended up being a Van Helsing. Okay, she did end up being a Van Helsing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she they do this great thing where like he washes up on a beach and he gets up and then like helicopters mm. and all this shit show up. The last two episodes have all been in the seventeen eighteen hundreds. Got and it. he's just been in the ocean this whole time. He finally washes up on shore, Got and it. it's the twentieth century. And they're like, Dracula, you've been gone for a while. <sighs> Uh, get fucked, buddy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You've been asleep a long time, Dracula. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the last episode is all set in modern day, and yeah. it's like a retelling of Dracula in London, but it's like modern day, and there's also this aspect of like mm. this shield esque organization. Got it. Trying to like be like, yeah, but guys, vampires are real, and this is really fucked up, and we need to stop right. this guy. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. You do something like that, yeah. As like the uh, for for Dracula, and yeah, like it just—it's so frustrating that like 
because they started with the idea of like, what if superhero movies with dark universe? Yeah. It's, it's just, just doomed from backwards. its conception. Yeah, yeah, they just started backwards. And it's like, just think of these, think about the characters mm-hmm. first. And if you, you can build to a shared universe, yeah. you easily can, but you got to start with the characters. And it's, first. it's one of these things, too, where like, so I watched um, Last Voyage of the Demeter yeah. recently, which was like a fun movie. I really liked it. But I think that they keep doing – it's, again, they keep doing this thing where they, like, forget what the thing is that's so cool about the characters they're doing. Where, like, mm. no one wants to see Dracula as, like, a just bare CGI yeah. bat monster. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole thing is that he's seductive. He's mysterious. He, like – he lurks in the shadows and almost is like a monster of shadows where sometimes he just doesn't have form. Like reading that novel, it's fucking terrifying mm-hmm. the way that Dracula is described. Mm-hmm. And it's never really as a monster. It's like this very seductive, almost spirit that when he is a man is like really like enthralling. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's someone that And then slowly so being like, oh, there's a beast behind this thing yeah. that just wants to eat me. And it's like it's it's really psychological because so much of the horror is coming from the person's perception of what is happening. You know, like it's it's I don't know, and just this thing where they keep taking stabs at these classic characters but uh-huh. never never actually finding the thing that is the reason that they are special. Yeah. You know, and like I mean honestly it's like Renfield a little bit the same. Like yeah. it's weird that Universal put out two Dracula movies in one year and neither one was released. Both of them bombed, neither one was released near Halloween. Well, with, <laughs> That's with, true, yeah. with Renfield again well, it's because they're planning everything for release Ugh. on VOD in so around stupid. Halloween. Um but like like the Boogeyman still is sure. in VOD, which is crazy. But wow. uh because uh, they're holding it for October. I never saw it. Yeah. I I haven't seen it either. Um, but yeah, with Renfield again, they turn him into a fucking superhero. They give yep. him superpowers. Yeah, where he's like, he's got like fucking like what, matrix wanted, powers. Yeah. yeah, wanted matrix powers. <laughs> whenever he eats a living creature, um, like a bug. Like, what? Yeah. What are you? Yeah. What the fuck is this? That's <laughs> where the 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 Robert Kirkman sort of element of the pitch of that movie really yeah. comes out. Yeah, for sure. So. Yeah. yeah, I and which is kind of like again not going, not honoring, or going back to what made like the character Dracula, right? And, you know, like, Dracula's in the public domain. Do whatever kind of Dracula story you want to do. Truly, yeah, you know. Sure. Uh, but it's just well, interesting. Maybe, but maybe Universal shouldn't have made Renfield. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like protect your legacy, guys. Like only make them when they're really fucking good. I yeah. mean, like Jason, did you ever see Dracula Untold? I did. What what were your thoughts? I I mean the game certainly begun. Right. Um, <laughs> I I thought it was fine. It was certainly of the like modern Dracula movies. It was the one that felt like the most Dracula, but it was still like this kind of. It was such a like weird craven because apparently they made him a protagonist. Yeah, like it, it, they gotta stop doing that. Like make it about the brides or something. Like I don't know, but like. They and and they retrofit that movie. They did reshoots on that movie to make it a part of the dark universe. Mm. But then once it came out and was poorly received, then they were like, "Well, no, 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 that wasn't a part of the dark universe." Despite the fact that we absolutely brought in <laughs> Alex Kurtzman and Chris Morgan to like reshape it into right. that. It was, let, let, it was let, the original uh, uh, Vulture at the end of Morbius post credit oh, scene, right? For sure, yes. absolutely. Because you had like you know, let the games begin, Charles, yeah. Char- yeah. Charlie Dance. Right. I, and and I like Charles <laughs> Dance. He honestly, the one part of that movie that I liked was Charles Dance. Yeah. I thought he was fun. Never seen it. Never saw that. I uh, saw I Frankenstein back in the day. Oh man, with Aaron Eckhart. Yep. Yeah, yeah, what a fun time. One of those like weird quote unquote based on a comic book, but then you find out the comic book was like sort of just a pitch that was like <laughs> sold to Dark Horse just so that they could adapt it or whatever. 
Scott, closing thoughts on the the 2017 Mummy and the Dark Universe. It's it's not even a good Tom Cruise movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in this era of like where Tom Cruise is basically making back to back to back bangers, like he only makes bangers right yeah. now. That it's it's really depressing that this isn't good. And I feel like it's almost like he came in too late in the game. This was the year before Fallout. Right. I feel like he came into this too Wild. late into development. And that was part of the big problem. Right. That's so... He, that is exactly the problem. Yeah. He didn't develop this movie. He just jumped on board and then tried to fix it while yep. it was moving. Yep. Like, it's... That's so crazy that this came out before Fallout. Yeah. Like, the year before Fallout. That's yep. nuts. I know. Like, I know. And the, this movie, for me, this <clears throat> movie further affirms... My thought that Tom Cruise should start directing movies. Yeah. Like, because the things, the sequences in this movie that are so clearly cruise driven work. Cruise control. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Under the (laughs) the ones that are under cruise control. uh, uh, Like, they they work perfectly. And And I do think, like, if he just teams up with one of his, you know, writers that, I mean, whether it be Macquarie, obviously he directs his own stuff, but like any of these writers that he's worked with on, on, you know, movies that have worked before, like, I yeah. do feel like this guy has been over the last forty years, like training to become a director. He's worked yeah. for every big name director in Hollywood outside of like I guess Tarantino and Nolan. Like everyone that's worked in the past past thirty or forty years, he's worked for. Like this dude has learned more than most directors have forgotten. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like he's kind of he's gotta stop putting his fate in the hands of other people. And he's getting old enough now that he can no yeah. longer be And I think he's accepting, like, he can no longer be the lead that he used to be. So, like, yeah, man. Like, keep doing Mission Impossible. Become the director of, of, you know, uh, 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 IMF or whatever. And, like, make that into a vehicle for another star that you're handling. Yeah. And that your fingerprints are all over. Like, I, I just, watching this movie, I was like, man, he's... There's just no reason why Tom Cruise should ever be in an Alex Kurtzman movie. Or any other director of that ilk. Like, yeah. This dude should be handling his own stuff yeah. at this point. Yeah, or like directing the next generation, whoever that is. Yeah, totally. If anyone, that's the thing. Is like someone needs to step up. Yeah, and well, like be be yeah. a movie star because <laughs> that's that's the thing. Is like he knows what it takes to be a movie star. So if he is, decides like, okay, I know that I'm not a movie star anymore. Mm-hmm. It's over. I'm 72. Yeah, I'm, se- right. I'm I'm 72 years old. Can't do this anymore. I'm just going to retire from acting. I'm going to become a director, but I'm mm-hmm. going to make it my mission because Hollywood and right. these goddamn movie theaters that right. I love so much keeping need me alive. Movie stars. So I'm going to find and I'm going to build the next generation of movie stars. If yeah. that's what his goal is, that would be fucking cool. I mean, look, if he were to like, if he were to direct, and I think even like if he were to attach himself in a supporting role in like the Obi Wan Kenobi sure. role in a new whatever movie, yeah. like. I think that's perfect. Like, have him be the sort of sheriff that's out to pasture or whatever, metaphorically. Like, if you were to direct an Austin Butler movie, right? If they were to conceive of some action movie yeah. starring Austin Butler that Tom Cruise directs. I'm crazy, too. The, <laughs> be, right. Like, that would be, like, people would go see it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's it's the kind of thing where, like, he has such a sense of what will make a compelling movie. And also, he really, really understands movie star persona and how audiences perceive movie stars. Yeah. Where he was talking about, like, anytime you hear him talk about how they wanted to approach Henry Cavill in Fallout, mm-hmm. he had such a keen awareness of, like, audiences perceive him as Superman. Mm-hmm. 
as a particular kind of Superman. I'm going to both lean into that and also not piss them off with that. Like mm. people aren't going to come and see a movie with Henry Cavill if it's just going to be Superman being a full piece of shit. You know what I mean? Like, but I will not allow him to shave that mustache. Absolutely under not. Any under any circumstances. No circumstances. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, literally the That's worst your work. fucking problem. You figure it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, um, let me ask you this. Please. Tom Cruise aside. Uh-huh. Who, is there anyone who could have played this character? Nick in, Morton? Yeah. And, and done a better job with it. Made as, the movie better. As written or like a different version of this character? Well, not as written because it wouldn't be the same if Tom Cruise was an on-set rewriting sure, sure, everything. Sure. So... In concept, I guess. You know, I'll be honest. So when you were you were talking about how yeah, the yeah. mummy really isn't a character, it's really about like putting interesting characters up against the mummy, mm-hmm. like Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weisz, yeah. or Abbott and Costello. Yeah, yeah. Uh, time of recording. I just saw a really fun, entertaining movie about two assholes, mm. scumbags. Yeah. Uh, I would watch the shit out of like a Rachel Senate versus a mummy. <laughs> sure. Sure. Like, just, like, a, a selfish person yeah, learning yeah. how to not be selfish. Um, totally. <clears throat> I, th- I think that's the thing, is you would you would want to build it around someone who's going to contrast the environment pretty well. Which is, like, I think why Brendan Fraser works so well yeah. in The Mummy. Is, like, he stands out from everything and is like, this shit fucking sucks. I hate all of it. Like, I gotta get yeah. out of here kind of yeah. thing. And, like, so I think I think you would want to cast someone who is generally a more of a comic actor than a drama actor like the problem is you just don't have a lot of scumbags right now like guys like guys who are capable of like playing like scumbag scummy Uh, scumbag jason sudeikis before ted lasso was kind of known for being cads that's true like we're the millers that's true yeah that would have been an interesting take for him to go interesting career path (laughs) yeah i mean like the current like hacky version of it would be like pete davidson but obviously he's not he shouldn't be the lead of a big franchise movie like that it's not the best way to utilize him but like hey mr mummy you want to smoke yeah but like i mean and and ryan reynolds is like the that seems to be hollywood's go-to for that guy sure um but i wouldn't want him in this movie at all (laughs) yeah i mean i think like if you're going to have it be like a full adult I think like Chris Pine would be probably the best version around Chris, this time. Chris Pine is the closest other Tom Cruise. Yeah, you know, like he but doesn't he do least... his own stunts, but he's got that same kind of vibe. Like you could picture him on the slab being like Jenny. Yeah. Like you can picture him <laughs> yeah. doing that. Yeah. I think he can yeah. sell a lot more of the like everyman kind of lines. Like that's the one thing with Cruise that never quite works <clears throat> is if he's, he's like supposed to be. Yeah, he just can't. The yeah. way he talks is so intense that that's yeah. not how people talk. With where how whereas like Chris Pine has that very casual way of approaching everything, but I also think he's too likable. I don't know sure. that he could do, play a, like a true cad. Yeah. But I, mean, I don't. I don't seen, think Tom Cruise is pulling it off. No, I mean we don't have like a Bill Murray right now. Right. We don't have like I mean like we have like uh, Aquafina. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true. Those a lot of those roles are going to women right now. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. That's the, kind of the move right now. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it's really tough. I mean, like cuz also just there's there they haven't been making new comedy movie stars in a while. Uh Margot Robbie 
Right. Yeah. I mean, she was she was uh, she was Tanya Harding. Yeah. Kind of a scumbag. That's she true. could play a character, but you know, also know she looks good doing action. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's like you could always go the like Robert Pattinson or like at like anyone who's led a like Safety Brothers movie. S- you see, know? see Robert Pattinson. <laughs> like, the Ro- dude from Good Time wakes <laughs> up a mummy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Robert, but like Robert Pattinson actually makes sense because he does have like an inherently like oh you want to see this guy like as like a, a, a kooky monster kind yeah. of freak like, yeah freak gothic thing yeah um so that does i i do like that he is able to play trashy and scummy pretty well Th- that is true his bruce wayne is pretty trashy and scummy yeah, yeah. it's still kind of like vulnerable yeah. right um yeah it's tough around this time like around 2017 it's 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 hard yeah, like I guess Brad Pitt could kind of do it, but he's too old. He, That's I mean Tom Cruise. I mean he's is the same. Old. Yeah, he's That's the same the age as Tom Cruise. That, but that, but Tom Cruise is too old. You yeah. know. Uh, oh, you know who plays a good a franchise. Speaking of uh, Top Gun Maverick, uh, uh, Glenn Powell plays a good asshole, mm. a good cad. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I as much as I, I I find people's use of this guy a little frustrating. Jason Momoa. Yeah. You know, like he could do it. He could. He could. He could certainly do it. It would be a different interpretation, and he would certainly always be playing it as drunk. But like, <laughs> there's something there. Yeah. Oh man, he Our... just has that inherent, uh, like, uh, fratty yeah. kind of mm-hmm. vibe to him. Yeah, which I think could work for this and would draw an interesting contrast. And like, also speaking of people who used to get cast as like silent. You know, sort of like that's true. He he managed to break out of it, and I'm happy for him because right. I do like him in a lot of stuff. Like I like the way he plays him. I think. Well, what's what's so funny is that like the only reason he got to break out of it was because Zack Snyder cast him exactly for that reason. Yep. To be a stoic thing, like guy, and then like James Wan, and then James Wan was like, "Fuck that! You're a weirdo. I'm yeah. gonna. <laughs> that's not you. You're gonna get drunk at a bar. It's gonna be awesome. You're yeah. gonna be you. That's you. Yeah." Um, which is the smartest thing that James Wan ever did, and for some reason, people don't like that movie. <sighs> it's insane. That movie's so fun. It's so fun. <laughs> That's crazy. I wonder if that sequel will ever come out. I hope it does, and I hope that uh, yeah. the three of us in this room are the only people who enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. I, as yeah. long as that's true, yeah. I will be happy. Also, I just thought I think Tom Hardy is another pick that, like, that's it. You know, that's boom. A guy that's that they the guy. were circling that and trying is to get. The guy. That is the guy. Yeah. He was yeah. thousand percent. Yeah. That's the guy. Nick Morton. He does yeah. this instead of Venom. I know that yeah. would break a lot of people's yeah. hearts. Hey, you could do both. But yeah, maybe you could do both. You figure um, it out. But uh, yeah, that's the guy. He's I think yeah. that's the guy. He can go trashy. He can be like this kind of. He can be both soldier and piece of shit. Yeah. pretty like, easily. Like a, yeah, a soldier who is a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. Like that kind of like goes rogue and and like does war crimes on yeah. the side to make money. Honestly, the hardest part with him is like finding the like <laughs> humanity and heart. <laughs> you know, like right. finding the way to be like, no, this guy's good though. Yeah, it's kind of like Eddie Brock, sort of that template. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just let him go wild with it. Yeah. You know? And and just be like, hey, this is the character. This is the arc. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Right. And then you'll get something fucking weird. Because yeah. he is he is like, he's like a buff Nick Cage. He's That's true. He's just super fucking weird. He'll and go as hard as you let him. Just how weird he is. But once he reaches like 50, people are going to be like, oh, this guy is the next generation. Uh, an Avengers kind of movie where it's like Tom Hardy and Nicolas Cage's Dracula. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. Trying to like save the world. That would be fun. Oh, I would I'd be down for that. Kevin James Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin James. <laughs> Just imagining yeah. Tom Hardy and Kevin James sharing a scene together is making me smile. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Jason, we could, we could, you know, 
uh, we could talk for hours about we could, this. We could yeah. really chew the cud here. You know what I mean? I will say shout out mean. to the Dark Universe logo. Yep. I think it was a cool idea. I, I think it was a cool idea. I, I do think the transition could have been better. Yeah, it definitely could have been better. But I, I And I think that it's it's like the definition of putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. Sure, literally. Um, it's really funny. Do you know who composed the, the jingle, the theme? No. Chiquino? Danny Elfman. Oh. Oh, that makes sense. Good for him. That makes sense. I also, wait, really quick thing that I found out. Please. Did you guys know that famous photo wasn't? Real it's Photoshop. Yes. Yep. I had I had no idea until today. They were yeah. never in the same room. That's together. so fucking crazy. Which is such a, a metaphor. Yeah. For you know. Yeah. And well, also because they were like desperate to slap it together and right. Yeah. So they were just like, just take pictures of all of them. We'll slap. Because it, it was because it was tracking poorly, and right. they were like, oh, maybe if we make this big fanfare thing, yeah. of like it's a new universe. You guys like those. And what do they? Which is show weird us because the, show us the math outside of Marvel. Show us. The so math. the summer of 2017, <laughs> when this came out, the big hits of the summer, yeah, where you know you had Wonder Woman, right? You had Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, right? You had Spider Man Homecoming, right? So like they were, they were right. Yeah, I guess so. They were in the the ballpark, and I feel like now. We've come back around. I mean, you know, we're post-Barbenheimer. Right. Where it seems like the what audiences want, they're like self-contained movies that don't have a lot of baggage attached to them. Right. So, like, they're... who? I mean, it's a shame we had two Dracula movies bomb in a row in one year. <laughs> but, like... Yeah. I, I, just, I, I, I don't know what the joke is. I don't uh-huh. know what it is. But there, when you said, like, two movies without any baggage on them, I was like, well, I mean, Barbie has the... Has the, has the uh, her her, her the, famous... Well, men. Um, oh, okay. The patriarchy. You know? yeah, yeah, the patriarchy. And, you have to be and with... Oftenheimer has emotional baggage. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, 70 years. Yeah. 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 Cultural, like, <laughs> the weight of the, 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 the nuclear cloud yeah. hanging over us. <laughs> like a sort of Damocles. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the baggage. I do uh, think this Dark Universe photo should be studied the way that, like, the Sistine Chapel is. It's so <laughs> fascinating, especially knowing they weren't in the same group. Like, the confused, <laughs> weird look on Russell Crowe's face while his hand is sort of, like, halfway through a motion. What am I doing? And then, like, Tom Cruise resting his hand on the back of Javier Bardem's chair. But, like, clearly there is no back where his hand is to that chair. Yeah. It's just, a, it's kind of amazing. I, I have a new appreciation for it. Oh, dark universe. The dark universe. Well, Jason, thanks so much for being on. Hey, thanks for having me, fellas. Of course. Anything you'd like to plug or promote or just raise awareness for? I don't know. I mean, I'll probably bring Comic Book Workshop back at some point. So go listen to that if you like hearing creators mm-hmm. uh, talk about things. Oh, and I guess, you know what? My my uh, fiance made an amazing TV show that's uh, streaming on the green streaming app that's owned by Disney and Universal. Um, so go check out Praise PD. It's a wonderful show. I can say Hulu. It's on Hulu. It's on It's on that one. Um, go, it's kind of non-union. Go check it out. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a show created by Writers Guild writers, and a bunch of people have benefits for two years because they worked on this show, and they all friggin' loved it, and there's an amazing musical number about a UTI, and there's mm-hmm. there's it's got it's got Stephen Root, it's got Annie Murphy, it's got it's got John Cho, it's got Michael Sarah, it's got it's just a star-studded affair, and it's really really funny. So go check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your fiance Anna, yeah, super fan of the Mummy, super fan of the Brendan Fraser Mummy. Yep. She loves Fraser, Fraser. She loves Rachel Vice. Mm-hmm. Has Absolutely. she seen this one? We watched it with Scott. Yeah. We all watched it together. Yeah, in early pandemic, we oh. were holed up in our apartment. I was living with Scott at the I time. Like, we Anna... should, I guess we should finally watch this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we watched um, we watched it with Scott. And I, just like this time, I had such a hard time paying attention to it. Anna, Anna actually 
kind of enjoyed it. She, oh, I remember cool. her being more positive on it than I was. She was like frustrated by things, but she, she had a good time with it. And I was kind of like barely able to pay attention. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she, she's like the biggest mummy fan in the world. Um, it's, and, and before the Renaissance too, yeah. I will add like right. oh, OG mummy fan. It was a thing that she was just obsessed with pre bumper sticker. Yeah. yeah. Reading the, so much so that when super Yaki made the bumper stickers, they sent her a bunch of them. Oh. Um, uh, but also like read mummy fan fiction online as a teenager. And, like, <laughs> wow. Just truly all Incredible. in. Wow. Um, but yeah, so, and actually speaking of the mummy, <laughs> Um, uh, there is one actor from the mummy that is in praise PD. So if, uh, if you watch and pay attention, you might find one. Wow. And then you can, I don't know, write in the show when you find out. Is it John Hanna? (laughs) There's no way of knowing who it is. Okay. (laughs) Well, um, uh, listeners, you asked for this. Uh huh. You voted (laughs) for it. Um, we did it. You're welcome. Uh, next week we'll be talking about. Uh, or the Mummy franchise as a whole, maybe what we would do going forward. Kill it. Kill it. Never <laughs> never resurrect it. Um, and also over on the Patreon, we'll be covering Van Helsing, Ooh, yes. directed by Stephen Sommers, starring yeah. Hugh Jackman, huge Jackman. His, his overcorrection to the mistake that he made on The Mummy Returns. Right. Yeah, uh, boy, Not enough howdy. CG. <laughs> yeah. That one. Uh, the, the, the movie, the first movie to give me a headache. Van Helsing? Yeah. Oh, wow. Like, My head hurts. What's going on? <laughs> Holy, flashing lights. Uh, I think that was Spider-Man 3 for me. No offense. I know okay. you guys love it. Fair enough. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and then, yeah. And we will announce our final miniseries of this season in the between episode next week. Ooh. So, look forward to that. Look because that. we haven't spoiled it yet. Somehow. <laughs> Somehow. Um, but I'm very excited. So uh, tune in next week for our between episode. And uh, thank you again, Jason. And goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. I love you. A dark universe to you all. Goodbye.